It is Free Talk Live from day two here at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. Broadcast as always. As always, we've been at the site for three or four years now. Previously, we were at the top of the hill there where Kirby Q is now. And I wanted to get that site back again this year because it's more central and it's a little bit bigger. And it would be easier to plan a show there, right? Mm. Because it's got... It's got like the one main direction, and that's pointed down the hill, whereas the angle there that it comes to makes a really good backdrop for me to have my back to. As we are here, I have to have my back to one of the streets. Yeah. And then, yeah. But things didn't work out that way. We are still here at RV46, which is fine. Yeah. So absolutely beautiful day. Lots going on yesterday. It was fantastic seeing more and more people rolling in throughout the day. More people continue to roll they in do, today. Really, like, and it's getting packed. People are still setting up, and I'm happy to see it. As we mentioned yesterday, the Wormtown guys finally arrived yesterday. Oh, uh, right. Apparently, yeah. we weren't the only ones worrying, like, or not, I don't know, worrying isn't the right word, but concerned. Like, yeah. like, are these guys coming? What's going on? And today, of course, there's vendors everywhere. There's people everywhere. It's, there's food. There's music. There's all sorts of fun. There's drinks. There's activities. There's talks. There's... I mean, so many things are going on right now. There are talks, and I was really surprised. I walked by, I think it's the fire tent earlier. I haven't looked at the map, but it's you know just some tent not organized by the Porcupine Freedom Festival, where someone, I, th- I think it was Zephan who has been on the show here before. I think he was giving a speech about something, yeah. and there was a decent crowd there, maybe 25, 30 people just at this, I don't want to call it a random site, but this non-official site. Yeah. You don't generally expect to see crowds of that size at these unofficial events. Right, yeah. So it's pleasant to see that. And, of course, that is one of the goals of decentralizing the Porcupine Freedom Festival and getting more people doing things and getting those on the map and making people aware of them so that they can go to them and check them out and you know have a good time. Yeah. I uh, managed to invent a, a new cocktail. Oh, I, yeah? I don't have a name for it. It's just coffee okay. and Captain Morgan spiced rum. All right. It's delicious. Somehow, I never thought to combine those two particular beverages. And, uh, wow, tasty. I've never really combined any sort of alcohol with coffee, but that, then again, mm. I'm not really a coffee drinker. So, so uh, there are a, a series of breakfast drinks, let's call them. So the most famous ones are screwdrivers, uh, mimosas. Well, that makes sense. Right? A screwdriver is like orange juice and vodka. Right. And so, uh, at some point, I invented the Captain Kickass, which is uh, orange juice and spiced rum. Okay. A stripped-down pina colada, if you will. And it's also delicious. It's just, you know, adding some vanilla flavor and some booze to your orange juice just makes it taste like orange sherbet. I have a friend who had uh, Bloody Marys for breakfast. Every time we go to a music festival, yep. he gets a Bloody Mary for breakfast. I'm like, dude, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Yep. But yeah, Bloody yeah, Mary- we're so- on vacation when this happens, so I'm joking around when I say that. Yeah. So, I don't necessarily always want uh, like if i have a bloody mary i don't want to because like it's tomato juice and some other stuff and it usually comes with some roughage some celery or some pickled beans or something in it uh and so it's kind of a meal and so because you know bloody marys aren't my first choice of breakfast drink and you know i got kind of tired of screwdrivers i'm not that big on vodka i was pretty happy with the spiced rum and orange juice combo and so just out of necessity last night uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to have some coffee. I got an iced coffee from Liberty over here. And then uh, 
uh, you know, I was at a place where there was some spiced rum, and I was like, hey, I'm going to pour some of this in my coffee, and it was delicious. Well, that's how someone invented Reese's, presumably once upon a time. So I was like, I've got chocolate, I've got peanut butter, I'm going to combine the two and see what happens. You've got your peanut butter in my chocolate. I'm not really much of a drinker, especially these days. I, I used to drink a lot. Like, back when I actually smoked cigarettes, I would drink two bottles of wine a day somewhere mm-hmm. around there they usually box wine because that's you know so much more cost effective but i drank a lot of wine pretty much every day but as i quit smoking i found that i no longer liked the taste of red wine oh and this was this was true of a bunch of different things but i, I it was no longer palatable to me whatsoever yeah. and i slowly stopped drinking it I phased it out and replaced it with vodka and uh, a lot of screwdrivers because I was trying to add more, you know, vitamin C and fruits and vegetables sure, to yeah. my life, and yeah. that's an obvious way of going about that. Yep. Bloody Marys as well, but I I didn't enjoy it still. And what I found as I took longer and longer gaps between having any sort of drink was that. I don't really enjoy alcohol anymore. It it just makes me feel like crap. Mm. I, I still enjoy it, of course, right. uh, and I don't know that that... Uh, well, it's teach their own, know. right? Yeah. Uh, I, I did take some time off of drinking, and so I've begun drinking again here at this festival. Okay, so. well, congrats on that. I've had, like, maybe maybe four days of drinking this whole year, so that, that's been nice. And I, I was worried, especially around the time that I was drinking all that wine, I was worried that I had become like an alcoholic and that I was developing a dependency. And by that right, point, yeah. I'd been doing it for two years, so it was going to be a vicious battle when I finally stopped drinking. But it wasn't even a conscious effort to stop drinking. It was just like, I don't enjoy this anymore. So I stopped. That's very natural, and you know, you should follow those types of things if if your body's telling you something, yeah, you know, uh, I think my philosophy is you should listen to it. Absolutely, I enjoy. I miss smoking cigarettes a lot more than I miss alcohol. And I mean, I had alcohol last night. I had a few um, Angry Orchard cider, ciders, yeah. but like two ciders is an inconsequential amount of alcohol. I did find myself hanging out with with some smokers at the uh, the wedding reception. Yeah, not necessarily because I wanted a cigarette or anything like that. I just had meandered outside and there were a bunch of people smoking cigarettes right there and we started talking uh so occasionally I, i'll indulge in some secondhand smoke right i'll just be yeah. around smokers but the urge to smoke is long gone i've been quit for i don't know probably 15 years now i yeah. lost track once i hit a decade i'm like it's been 10 years i'm no longer a smoker when i say that i miss smoking i just mean like i i, I have fond memories of it but mm. because of the manner in which i quit i've like the day as I was quitting, I was around people who regularly smoked cigarettes, and it just it didn't faze me whatsoever. I no longer had any desire to actually use them, yeah. and that that's the benefit of Chantix. If someone can find it and if they can afford it, it was like five hundred dollars a month for me, yep. and it really screws with your head. It does that that cannot be overstated. The weird dreams, of course, if you're already experienced with sleep apnea and night terrors and all of that kind of crap as I was, then it's it's blue on black, and you're not going to really notice. Yeah. How However, for most people who have never experienced that sort of thing, Chantix is vicious. And I fully understand people not being able to see it through to the end. <laughs> Although it, ma- yeah. it makes it easy, right? I, I, didn't, I didn't even notice quitting smoking. It was just something that happened more or less organically because mm. of the Chantix. Nicotine stopped having any effect on me whatsoever, and I just slowly smoked less and less until I didn't smoke any. 
I uh, I quit smoking, believe it or not, for philosophical reasons. That's what actually got me to quit. So I, I did the gum. I tried the patch, the Chantix. Uh, I used the one of the first uh, vape nicotine, the, the e-cigarette yeah. uh, that was on the market. Uh, none so of what that. was the philosophical reason that got so you to quit? I, I was at a, a show. A friend of mine's band was playing a show. And I was outside smoking and drinking. And I was going on a rant, as you know, folks like us like to do, sure. about slaves and slavery and how you know slavery was decentralized. It wasn't really abolished. Right. right? Just everybody became sort of these part-time slaves, if you will, slavery light. And this was sort of the, the gist of what I was ranting about. And so I finish up, and my friend Mike comes over, and he's like, so you really hate being a slave, huh? And I'm like, yeah, I really do. And he's like, well, you're a slave to R.J. Reynolds, man, with that cigarette. Yeah, You're R.J. Reynolds' bitch, is what yep. he said, right? And I was like, and like that phrase still, when I say it right now, it echoes in my head like something out of a movie. You're R.J. Reynolds' bitch. You're R.J. Reynolds' bitch, right? You know, uh, continuing to, to echo in my head. And so I actually went home that night. I continued smoking all night long. I went home that night and I was having my final cigarette because I don't smoke inside. I was standing outside on the, on the front porch stoop. And I just heard that again. You're R.J. Reynolds' bitch. And I, I said, I really am. And I put the cigarette out and that was the last cigarette I ever had. I never really minded that, you know. I th- these things happen. You know, people become dependent on various things. I'm foods bitch as well, right? And the thing that sucks about cigarettes is that it's generally one specific company, or like R.J. Reynolds, or yeah. whichever the other one is. I don't Morris. Yeah, I I, I smoked Camels, so yeah. that wasn't really R.J. Reynolds, but whatever. The, right, the same basic. Yeah. yeah. So I never really had an issue then with that because I knew I was going to be dependent on something. But I battled different addictions in the past and, you know, came, went, got through the withdrawals and quit doing the substance in question and had no desire to ever go through withdrawals. Again, they yeah. were absolutely miserable. Not not fun. Manageable, certainly, but not fun. And it's easier to just to avoid the dependence. And I was convinced that I was just going to die <laughs> a cigarette smoker. Like, I had no desire yeah. to deal with the misery of nicotine withdrawals. I, I had it justified in my head, too. I, I said, well, uh, if I'm able to die because of cigarette smoking, I will have lived a full and prosperous life because... Yeah. Like, I take care of things before my cigarettes, like a roof over my head and food in the fridge and, you know, pay my rent and, you know, those types of things. And so I thought to myself, my self-justification was uh, that I will have not only been able to afford to live, but then also afford cigarettes. So that was like my barometer of like, am I having a successful life? I can still afford to smoke. That was my justification. And so it was, uh, it turned out that it was just me justifying to myself, cigarette smoking. Right? Yeah. That, that was my way of convincing myself that it was okay and that, you know, I was otherwise okay. And the more I thought about it, uh, particularly after I put the cigarettes down, I was like, oh, that was the addiction part, was the, the mind justifying right. it, you know, as if to say, it's, no, you can't live without me. And like, I totally can. And not only could I, but I did. And when I did, I also became wealthier because. Right. Not only did I not buy one or two packs a day at the local convenience store, I stopped going to the local convenience store on a daily or even regular basis now. Because other than to get gas in my car, I didn't have a reason to go to the convenience store on a daily basis. Right, but every smoker, when they go to buy that pack of cigarettes, they always buy a drink. Buy a drink or buy a snack or, you know, something that they need, you know, grocery, last minute thing, eggs, milk, you know, that kind of stuff. You see it all the time. And, like, I was 
just as guilty of that as everybody else. I would go to the convenience store for my cigarettes and then be like, oh, let me get a, you yeah, know, a this shopping. or that I the mean, other thing. A convenience stores subsist off of convenience shopping, off right. of um, impulse buys. And so I stopped doing that because I right. no longer had the reason to. So now I could just like go to the grocery store once a week for like my food shopping and that was it. So I, I, I eliminated uh, a large expense out of my life and I was like, oh, and this was right around the time that crypto was you know, sort of coming on, and I wish I'd have put more money <laughs> well, into crypto right. uh, than I did. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, crypto could have crashed and burned, and it's true. So we didn't know that was going to happen. I noticed when I came to New Hampshire that cigarette smoking was no longer really economical because yeah. where I lived in Mississippi, I could buy a pack of Newports, which is what I smoked, for about five dollars a pack. Wow! Yeah, and Marlboro Black Menthols, which were you know they were the cheaper brand, but they were just over four dollars a pack. Yeah, and that that was feasible. But when I came to New Hampshire, it did not take long, like two or three months at the most, before I was doing roll your owns, mm. which is where you buy the tubes and you get the little hand machine and yep. you roll your own cigarettes yep. and. You get a bag of tobacco for $20, and it's basically like three or four cartons of cigarettes. It can last a really long time. It's not as good, and it's a little tedious because you have to do it all yourself. But the cost savings are yeah. phenomenal because here in New Hampshire, I mean, I suddenly went from you know buying $5 a pack of cigarettes to buying $10 a yeah. pack of cigarettes. And at the same time, I was smoking more because that's how smokers tend to do. You steadily yeah. smoke more and more. Sure do. And it, it was unpleasant. It wasn't good. And... It seemed to go, it went too well with the wine drinking. But on the subject of <laughs> yeah. habits and cost and expenses and all of that stuff, people are shopping at Dollar Tree more than ever. One percenters, what, she is on this cable again, one percenters are shopping at the Dollar Tree. And this is what surprises me, right? Because Wait, I, one percenters? Yeah. That, that this, was the this reason. This means I, something different to you than it does to me, I think. It means people in the top 1% of wealth. Okay. And I would not expect those sort of people to be shopping at the dollar store. But to even call it a dollar store now is false. They're not dollar stores. They're dollar twenty-five stores. There is no longer a dollar store. Yeah, they're five dollar stores. I saw one uh, here locally. Uh, it is both a Dollar Tree and a Family Dollar. It is. Uh, I saw that. Yeah, and I was like, wait, how did this occur? These are two different stores everywhere else, and they in fact have the two different signs. Uh, on the building, but it is, in fact, one store. I also found it odd to see the Family Dollar slash Dollar Tree there. It reminded me of the uh, like the KFC, KFC slash Taco Bell stores. Oh, yeah, the ta Kentucky Taco Fried Bell Chicken. I suspect the same sort of thing is going on here. As it turns out with the KFC and Taco Bell, I learned this very recently. It's that Coke, and Coke has a monopoly on, it's not really a monopoly, but they have complete dominance in the soft drink market. Yeah. That's why when you go to McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever, they all serve Coca-Cola. Well, rather than compete with them, Pepsi found it easier and cheaper to just buy some fast food chains. <laughs> and the ones they purchased was Pizza right. Hut, KFC, and Taco Bell. Right, yeah. And in an effort to save cost and to save money, they wanted to condense that down to as, to as few locations as possible. So they just combined the KFC with the Taco Bell. Right. And they also did that. There were some uh, Pizza Bell Taco Huts. I actually, of all of the places, I actually think I miss Pizza Hut. Because, mm. I mean, I know that I've worked at a Pizza Hut. So I know uh. that their dough comes frozen, right? Unless you get the pan dough. And I don't want to. They, they do make the pando from scratch. And at the store I worked at, they had a real bad mouse problem. Huh. 
And every day I would come into work to make the pan dough, and I would find the bags of flour having mice turds yeah. in it from mice having gotten inside and started eating it and all of that stuff. And the reason I quit was because the store manager said, you have to use it anyway. And I said, Geraldine, uh, there, there's, there's mouse turds in this flour. Right. And she goes, but it's food cost. You have to use it anyway. Uh, and I said, I'm not that doing gross. that. Find yourself another assistant manager. Yeah. I'm quitting because yeah. I'm just that's. I mean, if you can't if you can't manage the place better than that, then you have to feed your customers mouse droppings. You don't deserve to be in did business. The, did the store you work at have like sit down? It did. It did have. Did an it actual have? A, lobby. Did it have the? Uh, I don't know. Miss Pac Man, the video game, the sit down table version. It did when I was a kid, but as by the time that I worked there, no, it, all uh, of that was gone. Because like Pizza Hut. Like at some point, they sort of morphed from like a sit down, you know, go to pizza place to like fast food. Like now they're in competition with like McDonald's and Wendy's and stuff like that. Whereas at some point, they had like actual restaurant cred uh, as a really? sit down place. They would serve beer. At, at the Pizza Huts and that kind of a thing. So, like, you could go in and order a pitcher with, like, your, your friends and have a pizza and sit down. They would have birthday parties and stuff, like, you know, like uh, like going to, like, I don't know, like a chain place, like a Chili's or something like that. Like, Pizza Hut was sort of on par with that type of a restaurant for some period of time. I think they probably still are. I, I would still put them above McDonald's and Burger King and all of those. Right, but they they don't. Now, most of the new Pizza Huts are just delivery and pickup. There's no more uh, yeah. restaurant right. to the pizza. Well, there's hut. no money to be made on serving people. You have to have bathrooms if you do that, and then you have to hire servers, and you right. have to clean up. You have three times as many dishes as you have to wash. They used to have uh, a salad bar slash pizza buffet. They did. I remember that. Yeah. And that, that was miserable because I was the day shift person. So when they had the buffet, I was the – and this pizza hut was terribly managed. So at most, at all times, you had one person – making food and i don't know if you know anything about making pizza but it's not really feasible when you're dealing with hundreds of customers to have one person responsible for making all of that food it, yep. it slows things down too much and it gave us hour-long delivery times and then of course the drivers are upset because they're not getting tipped and all that right. but but during during day shift that, those problems weren't real, real you just had to worry about the buffet and keeping it stocked and that, that was miserable because yeah. if you if you were even a minute late some karen was going to come up because these old karens loved the buffet <laughs> and they're obviously the ones most likely to complain are you calling me an old karen no not at all you're not no i love the buffet. The ones who like to complain are the old karens and sure enough if you were even a minute late in getting some more cheese or some more pepperoni or some more sausage pizza out there yeah. they, they were up there complaining i paid for my buffet and I wanted my sausage pizza. Absolutely miserable experience. Do not miss it. I was going to begin talking about the uh, the Dollar Tree thing, but I don't really want to talk about that. Yesterday, you also mentioned slavery. I did, yeah. And that's the topic I really want to get into because yesterday oh. was Juneteenth, and I'm not 100% sure what that means. I think that means that was the day that... Do you have a magic rectangle? I, I do, but I'm. it's not... <laughs> practical for me to look things up while holding a microphone and doing the show i i want to say it was the day that uh abraham lincoln made the emancipation proclamation it was either that or the day that the 13th amendment was passed it's widely regarded at the very least on the internet as the day that slavery ended 
And this is where I take issue with it. Slavery was not ended. My magic rectangle says, Juneteenth is an annual holiday observing the end of slavery in the U.S. It marks the day, June 19th, 1865, when news of emancipation reached people in the deepest parts of the former Confederacy in Galveston, Texas. Okay, so yeah, the Emancipation Proclamation, more or less. And, but it didn't end slavery. It just moved it. The 13th <laughs> yeah. Amendment holds that slavery is allowable for punishment for a crime. I have it here in front of me if I can find it again. Yes, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. Which is good, right? That's great. But... Notice that part about accept as punishment for a crime, and then <laughs> right. then look at everything that has happened since the last century and a half of expansion of regulation and the law, where the average American citizen commits three felonies a day. That's right. The only thing stopping you from being a slave, according to the 13th Amendment, is that the FBI hasn't prosecuted you, hasn't yes. gone after you for those three felonies a day that you're otherwise committing. Right. And that's not ending slavery. It's just moving it. Plus, at the same time, police officers have jurisdiction. And you know what police officers in the South do when they have jurisdiction and they can choose which person to pull over when they see someone speeding? Yep. And then they can choose which person they call out the canines for. It leads inexorably to them doing this for a very specific person. Generally, especially in the South, it was, but it's all over the, the United States. I don't want to blame just the South for this. There's a reason that the half of the populations in prisons and jails are black Americans. And it's not because they commit more crimes. It's because police officers have this thing called discretion. And when they see a white dude speeding and they see a black dude speeding, they can decide which one to pull, they can and do decide which one to pull over. Right. And that feeds into those statistics. So at the same time that slavery became permissible only as punishment for a crime, they passed a whole slew of laws making anything and everything illegal to the extent that, again, every single American committing an average of three felonies every single day, while cops also have discretion on choosing who to prosecute for those felonies and who not to. The obvious result of all of this is that slavery just got moved and now they call it punishment for a crime instead of just ownership of you. And yeah, they-, they went from overt slavery to this sort of now free-range slavery that we're all subject to. All it really did was create a legal framework for the justification of slavery. There's more coming up here from the Pork and Mind Freedom Festival. Stay tuned. It is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes to vote on. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by the Treasury. In fact, that's exactly how we got this sponsorship. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first, nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. 
Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. It is Free Talk Live, and you can come hang out with us at RV46. We're here for the rest of the week at the Porcupine Freedom Festival, recording the show and then playing it live. It's called Live to Tape. When you do this sort of thing, you record it, and then we broadcast it for the first time live, so to speak, at 7 p.m. tonight. I can only imagine what poor Sarah is doing now that we're not taking calls. Now, she's been a regular caller, pedestrian, Sarah, yes, for a very long time. Are you really worried about what Sarah's doing? No, but it's funny, and it's funny, amusing, <laughs> right? I am a little bit worried about it, because she's nuts, and she may wonder, she's dumb, and she may wonder, to be fair, she's not dumb, but she may wander off into the streets and get hit by a car. That would be absolutely tragic. That would be horrible. It would be ironic and hilarious, it but simultaneously be. quite tragic. So anyway, she doesn't listen to the show, but she calls in, and she's been calling in for like six, seven years, pretty much as long as I've been doing Free Talk Live. Sarah from New Mexico has been calling and going, yes, as she does. And ForkFest, three years ago, I, I remember it was the same year that uh, FUD played and the same year that we had this spot up here. Mm -hmm. that, was the, that was when she stopped calling. She was a regular caller, then we went to ForkFest and the Porcupine Freedom Festival, and then she just stopped calling. Huh. And it took about two years before she began calling again. And as it turns out, this is because she became homeless. I think she says she got depressed and ended up being homeless or something. And then she hooked up with this older dude named Richard. And now they bought a townhouse. I was like, good on you, Sarah, I Richard guess. Richard used to yeah. call, too. I remember that guy because he did. Uh, I think he wears a hearing. Because he talks like this all the time. Yes, he He's shouts like into his yelling phone. At, yes, hi, I'm calling because <laughs> I do like Richard, though, and you know, I, I, I'm caller. glad they have worked out their whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah, and Sarah initially denied that she was in a relationship with Richard, right? And she was just she was paying rent, and she was occasionally getting rent reduction by cleaning the house naked and stuff. <laughs> then, of course, Ricky from Pennsylvania tried getting hooked up with Sarah, and that, man, that was a weird night, dude. <laughs> I, I did not see any of that coming, and I don't even know why it happened, yeah. but suddenly Ian was playing matchmaker between Sarah from New Mexico and Ricky from Pennsylvania, and that was a bizarre experience. The whole thing was bizarre, but not as bizarre as the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which isn't bizarre for me, but for the average person coming here has to be a shocking, jarring experience. And I almost remember what it was like to come here for the first time and be surrounded by libertarians who actually valued the ideas of liberty. For sure. I don't truly remember, though, what it was like. And now I just take it for granted, just like I take it for granted that we live in New Hampshire and that I can hang out with libertarians anytime I want. Yeah. But that's unusual for most people. Most people don't get to experience it, and the first time they ever do experience it is here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival, where you can use goldbacks. There are more goldback stickers here than there were even last year. Yeah. And, and I love to see it. And I've got to remember to take some Free Talk Live stickers down to the goldback booth later because we... Free Talk Live, Ian in particular, was what brought Goldbacks here all those years ago. He was the first person to have the Utah Goldbacks yep. here on the site. And I, incidentally, was the first person to price anything 
in Goldbacks. That's right. You did your uh, your wine thing or whatever yes. it was, right, in, in Goldbacks. It was one Goldback for, per cup of wine, and it was tremendously successful. I'm assuming, I, I, I don't know, I didn't keep very good track of things, and mm-hmm. I had gold at the end of it. I don't know how much, and I don't know if it even paid for the wine. I'm, I'm assuming it did, but yeah. that was the first time that happened, and that was when the Porcupine Freedom Festival was introduced to the Goldback. And the next year was after Ian and I had been raided, mm-hmm. and Ian was no longer allowed to attend the Porcupine Freedom Festival. Right. Well, actually, I think he was... he. No, we weren't even allowed to contact each other during that first Porcupine Freedom Festival. So that was super awkward. Me yeah. up here doing a show, right. not being able to contact the people in the studio to make sure the show was being done. But Ben and someone else from Goldback wanted a site to camp at. I was like, here, absolutely. Use our site. Yeah. And we provided them with the site. Someone else allowed them a better site a few days into it. So they did that. And it's just been gradually expanding and growing since. Where now there's actual, we accept Goldback stickers here everywhere. That they, I wish Ian was here to see it. Because Ian, when I went down last night to talk to Ben about various things, he was like, well, you know, you, you made this happen. I was like, no, I didn't, though, right? All, all I did was offer you a site after Ian had already made all of the contact and you know, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Ian is the one who did this. And I wish he was here to see it. I mean, he will be coming up. Right, he is absolutely coming back up. I don't, I don't have his permission to say when, and mm-hmm. I don't want him to be swarmed by people who are only going to see him for the one day. So I'm not going to announce when. I'll talk to him about that, find out if he's okay with it. But he's coming up here twice more, at least. So he will see the goldbacks everywhere. And, oh, good. And I, and I think that will be because yeah, that it, it was 100% him to be able to see the progress that that has been made. Uh, just even here, right, in what should, what ought to be the Goldback Mecca, right? I think I, this I, I particular think festival, is. I, this particular festival, the Porcupine Freedom Festival, should be, every vendor here should be accepting Goldbacks. Uh, last year, there were a few of the food trucks that uh, Sean of uh, Chuck Wagner Soda he, he had a bunch of food trucks, and he sold them, I think, two years ago. And mm-hmm. a lot of the people who bought them were not initially accepting goldbacks. It was dollars only and cards only. And that's not the kind of answer I expect to get. Look, I, when I go up to your booth at the Porcupine Freedom Festival, and I ask you how I can pay, I don't expect you to say debit card. Right. And I'm not going to use a debit card at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. And I would encourage everyone, unless it's one of those crypto.com cards, and even then, why not just use the crypto directly? Yeah. I, 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 I would use cash here because I can't use cryptocurrency. I'm still under legal restrictions. I'm right. going to prison in just over seven days. Yep. I'm under restrictions that prevent me from using cryptocurrency. But I can use gold bags, and I'm going to use gold bags. And it, it, it saddens me to see a place that only accepts dollars and cards because yeah. i'm like that that's not what we're trying to do i understand you're here to make money right that's why you have this thing but we're here to promote the ideas of liberty and we can do those two things together you you can make your money and have your food truck and all that stuff and we can promote the ideas of liberty and decentralized currencies but we can only do those things together in tandem if you're willing to accept these uh, alternative currencies but thankfully this year that is the case i'm proud to announce that i bought some loaded fries last night that i shared with my dog with goldbacks nice. whereas last year it was and when I asked him last night if he was taking any, I don't remember how I phrased it. He was like, yeah, cash and card. And then he goes, oh, yeah, we're also taking gold backs. Oh, okay. Well, nice. that, that's more like it. 
but it was like an afterthought because it's new to them, and I appreciate that. And I'm glad they're coming back to them. I'm glad we didn't give them too hard a time about it last year. But we do sort of expect to be able to use cryptocurrencies and gold bags. I haven't yeah, I bought my lunch with gold bags today. Yeah, I've bought everything here on site with gold backs, I believe. I don't recall spending dollars anymore, unless it yeah. was like at the office at Rogers. I bought, I bought coffee with gold backs. Surprisingly, I mean, and I'm not going around looking for people at the moment that they're buying stuff, but I don't see a lot of cryptocurrency usage. I see significantly more gold back usage. I I was uh, I've sold some EPs for cryptocurrency and some okay. T-shirts. Uh, I've I, probably my transactions have been fifty percent crypto, fifty percent gold backs. Okay. Then some well, cash. That's not thrown, bad. Some cash thrown in there too, because I said I wasn't going to take cash for the the EPs, and I've pretty well stuck to that. Awesome. Uh, I made one exception. Well, again, people can come buy gold from me, and then they can use that gold to buy the EPs from you. Correct. That's ideal because I I posted it in the Fort Fast chat today as well in the Porcupine Freedom Off Topic chat. You know, on the way up here, I literally stopped and paid a two thousand five hundred dollar fine to the federal government. Yep. And I have an additional two thousand five hundred dollar fine to pay them at some point in the future. So selling some gold to make that happen is ideal. But I want to get Sean on at some point this year. We get him on every year. And he's, again, he does chuck whack and sodas. You get a still mug for 20 bucks and unlimited refills. It's really oh. hard to beat. And it's all natural. It's, I, I think it doesn't contain any corn syrup. It's just sugar. Yeah. And I mean, well, yeah, it's, it is a soft drink, right? It's homemade root beer, birch beer, uh, cream soda. Orange soda is it's fantastic. And Sounds for delicious. 20, for $20, you get a steel cup. And I've got about, I, I actually have six of these now. I should have seven, but I lost the one from you the one first year. year. Yeah. And they're so useful for stuff, especially like razors or anything that you need to uh. store in your bathroom. Just plop it down in there because it's solid steel. Yeah, right. It's going to last forever and it's not going to rust. Drop some alcohol in there, like some isopropyl alcohol, and set your razors in there, and they'll last basically forever. Sure. There's a few people that I get on here every year at the Porcupine Freedom Festival that I'm looking forward to. Again, of course, Crosby, the owner of the park. Yeah. I'm still surprised by how many people call him Roger. And I, I, don't, I don't know if he ever bothers to correct them on that. But I, I saw it last night while I was in there buying, I think, some ciders or something. Yeah. And someone was like, how are you, Roger? And I'm like, uh, man, I no, mean, it, that's not his name. Like, I understand how people make that correlation. It's sure. Roger's I mean, it's campground. Roger's, yeah. And then, he, and then you go, oh, look, there's the owner. And you're like, oh, that must be Roger. It's his campground. But no, it's Crosby. It was called Roger's when he bought it. Right. And I think he bought it in the 90s or the uh, 80s. He's yeah. had it for a really long time. And, I mean, he basically considers it to be his life work. So we get Crosby on. We get Sean on of Chuck Wagon Sodas. We get um, Jeffrey Tucker, Tom Woods. Looking forward to both of those again because last year Jeffrey Tucker talked about this thing called the Pendleton Act. Mm -hmm. And I want to say thank you to Mark Edge for reminding me what this was called. This was an act that was passed in like the 1800s, like the 1870s, 1880s. I don't remember exactly when. Okay. But it gave the executive branch – the inability it gave the president the inability to fire a lot of the executive offices right you would you would expect that the president can just fire the the transportation department the right. bureau of prisons or whoever and just hire whatever libertarian people he wanted but in actuality because of the pendleton act he can't do that he's very limited in who he can fire and how much control he can exercise over things like the department of education homeland security these institutional 
these institutions, they exist independently of the executive branch now <laughs> and without being ans- without answering to the executive branch. Yeah, so, so people falsely believe that the president has the power to start a clean right. house when, in fact, that's not the case. They think that Trump can just go in there and drain the swamp. But in reality, because of the Pendleton Act, Trump has absolutely almost no ability to drain the swamp. He may be able to replace a few heads here and there, yeah. but it's... It's meaningless, the amount of power that he actually wields over these institutions. Jeffrey, covered, Jeffrey Tucker called it the administrative state, and that's, that's what we're dealing with. We're ruled not by an executive branch, but by a bureaucracy, an administrative yes. bureaucracy. And he talked about that last year, and I didn't know any of this. I assumed, like most people did, that you know we could just elect Ron Paul, and he could go in there and fix everything. Ron Paul, incidentally, is one of the few people I would trust to actually go in there and do that. I suspect a lot of libertarians would become drunk with the power and was like, well, I don't, I, I want to, you know, we'll do that later. We'll decentralize and be free later. First, I want to exercise some of this authority. Mm-hmm. But I would trust Ron Paul to do it. But we, I operated under the assumption that we could get Ron Paul as president. Obviously, this was never going to happen. But, you know, in theory, get someone like Ron Paul to become president. He goes in and he, he actually drains the swamp. But no, that's actually not possible. I didn't even know that until we had Jeffrey Tucker here on the show last year at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. Yeah. And Tom Woods introduced me. If you've never sat with Tom Woods, you've got to, because he's also a metal musician. Well, he's not a musician. He's a metal head. Sorry. Oh, I did not know that. He may or may not be a musician. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't met the man. But uh, he sat down with Ian and I about three years ago, and he introduced me to like five or six different metal bands that he had just become aware of, and they they were all they were a little heavier than what I normally listen to, but they yeah. were good, and they were, it was right up my alley, and I was I was just shocked huh. that Tom Woods, you know, the straight laced ordinary, not, I don't want, there's nothing ordinary about Tom Woods, yeah. but Tom Woods listens to metal. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so just surprises like that. I respect that. Yep. And Nicholas Sarwark has been at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. I don't. I saw someone here with Sarwark for county attorney yeah. signs somewhere. I don't oh, know I if he's actually here. Too, yeah. I did see um, uh, somebody took a photo, a disgusting photo, of the uh, the bus for Vivek. Okay. Uh, I, and it's it's. I mean, the bus itself is nice, but then it's got this like. Just huge photo of Vivek. Oh, goodness. Right? Just plastered. And it takes up, you know, half of the bus uh, on the side. And apparently it pulled in this morning. I don't know where it is now. But uh, somebody sent me a picture of it. And I'm just like, that. how much ego do you have to have, you know, to right. put a giant picture of yourself all super close up on the giant side of a bus? Like, I get putting your name on it or whatever, but like. I talked to the guy at the Vivek booth yesterday briefly, and I was really surprised because he he asked me something. I mentioned Free Talk Live, and he mentioned the possibility of getting Vivek on here. So he goes, oh, yeah, I used to listen to that back in 2010 when it was just Mark and Ian. I'm like, what the hell are you doing running Vivek's booth then? (laughs) So I ended up taking a picture of it, and I said, sent it to Mark, and he said, hey, this fag used to listen to Free Talk Live, and now he's you know, championing Vivek, and he goes, gay. <laughs> but we, he did mention the possibility of getting Vivek on the show, and I'm willing to have Vivek on the show here. I, I told him sure. that you know we're going to be here until Sunday. I'll talk to anyone, but, you know. Yeah, and the guy said, well, he's going to be pretty busy when he gets here Saturday. He may not be able to get on. I was like, well, then he probably won't be able to get on because 
after today, I, I won't be on the show anyway. But even then, my ability to get on a presidential candidate would be limited to most of like Tuesdays and Wednesdays because mm-hmm. Ian is not going to have on your presidential candidate. He, right. He's just not going to do it. Right. And he wouldn't be super thrilled that we gave you a microphone, but I'm going to do it because he's not going to be like, oh, no, we're not playing this, right? Because right. he's Ian and he's cool. But not super thrilled about having standard politicians on the show. Totally get it. Vivek may have something interesting to say. I just want to hold him accountable. For his, we need a hot war with Mexico nonsense and his border hawk stuff. And yeah, yeah. My, I, I would probably try to wake the guy up, right? See where yeah. he's at philosophically. Does he agree that, you know, introduce him to the non-aggression principle if he's never heard of it, if he knows what it is, start asking questions surrounding that. That's usually a, a good way to gauge where somebody's at philosophically. That's why I wasn't, you know, an advocate of banning these people from the Porcupine Freedom Festival. Vivek wants to come speak, and RFK wants to come speak. I'm 100% okay with that. I don't think we should have given in to their demands to give them a gun-free zone, and no. I think that was only RFK. I don't think Vivek asked for that. I, yeah, I don't know about that, but it was at least RFK. Yeah, but I would get RFK on as well to ask him the same sort of question. Well, first of all, will you pardon Ross Ulbricht? And Julian Assange, yeah. will, you, will you cease prosecuting people for exercising their First Amendment rights? Will you cease prosecuting people for exercising their rights at all? How about victimless crimes? Right. right. Oh, this God, is, that would be ideal. This is, this is my uh, – there's all sorts of people who uh, you know, sort of defend police or defend military and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, that's, that's their privilege. Uh, you can do that if you want to. But it, it always gets me because – it, those things exist in violation of consent. Yes, by definition. <laughs> yeah, and so if you can, if you can think about it logically, uh, you should be able to arrive at the conclusion that those types of organizations uh, are the antithesis of freedom. Yeah, I was also interested in getting Tulsi Gabbard on, but it seems like she canceled, so she's not actually going to be here for that to happen in the first place. And again, I would only like to talk to Tulsi because, as, as I understand it, she's anti-war. Mm. But none of these politicians, Tulsi Gabbard might actually be willing to come on and talk to us and maybe Vivek, but I don't think the rest of them will, and I don't think Vivek himself will do it because we're antagonistic of them. They don't want to talk to us. Yeah. They, they want to talk to Democrats and Republicans that are going to agree with them, not hold their feet to the flames and not challenge them or ask them why the hell they want a hot war with Mexico. Yeah, they probably just want to talk to people who already agree with them Yeah, so that they can get their vote. And that's, that's what they'll be doing here at the pavilion when they give their little speeches. I know a lot of libertarians had, had this dreamy idea of somehow turning RFK into a libertarian by challenging him and asking him questions and getting him caught and making him go, oh, I guess you're right. I never thought about that. But the dude is only taking three questions, and they've been pre-planned. It's and like he's, shiny object syndrome, right? Yeah. Uh, so he may, and I suspect he may even be disingenuous about this. Like, does anyone have any questions? And then look around for his three plants. Right. Yeah. I suspect he'll do that. That would be really gross. But if you're going to only take pre-planned questions, why even do the questions? Just yeah. drop the pretense. Yeah. Give your speech and say no questions and get out. Yeah. And and that's the part that I don't like about what's going to happen is, like, if you want to get to know libertarians, just show up. Yeah, just you know, maybe get a space or a hotel room or whatever, right? You can have your armed guards. That's fine. You know, we're all armed and all that kind of stuff. I'm surrounded so by armed guards here. Yeah. 
Never so felt like, safer. You, you just fit right in, you know, like, and then walk around, meet people, you know, buy something, you know, sit down at, at a fire, right, and talk with these people. Don't come out and give a speech. Don't come out and give a one-way thing. Well, the thing is they, they don't want to sit down and talk to people because that suggests that they have something to learn. Yeah. And the, the problem in the United States, as we saw with Gary Johnson's campaign in 2016, was that the presidential candidate, the politicians, are supposed to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if they don't have the answer. They're just supposed to make something up and be wrong because anything is better than saying, I don't know. And we saw this with Gary Johnson asking, what is Aleppo? <laughs> and this is I, it's funny, absolutely, I'm with you, but it's significant because what's wrong with saying, I don't know anything about the situation that you're asking me about? That, that's, I, I love a presidential candidate who has the courage and the integrity to say, I'm not familiar enough with this topic to weigh in, I, right. I don't know. Yeah. And that's essentially what Gary Johnson said when he asked, what is Aleppo? Like, right. I don't know what you're talking about. However, the American populists and libertarians just absolutely revolted over that question, saying, oh, he should have pretended to know the answer. He should have just made something up, or he should have known the answers. Why do you expect politicians to always have all the answers? And politicians want you to think that they always have all of the answers. Yeah. And libertarians are falling for this, too, as we saw with Gary Johnson, because then they can convince you that they have the answer, or to just, to just give them power so they can implement their answer. It, it, at the, the root of all of that is this desire that politicians are all-knowing. And that's why they don't want to sit down and have a conversation with us. Vivek could absolutely sit down and have a conversation with us or RFK or any of these presidential candidates. Yep. But they're going to try to sell us their solutions. Right. And what we do, you know, we, we literally are doing this on the air. We sell them our solutions. Yeah. So yeah. we reach an impasse very quickly. And I, I don't think that's what they want. I think they want that one that one-way platform to just – Say their piece. It seems to me that more people should be able to come to the conclusion that you cannot fix the system with the system. It's not possible. You're not, it's not going to happen. You're just not going to do it. You would think so, man, but Americans don't realize that, and they don't understand how dire the situation really is. Like the economy, the approach of World War III, BRICS, which is a union of Brazil, Russia, India, China, mm-hmm. and a few other countries that, where they're working to create to de-dollar themselves, to yep. use a different currency as their, as their st- standard. And that's going to be catastrophic to the U.S. economy. The only thing keeping the U.S. economy going right now is the fact that we can export dollars to countries and they want the dollars. We don't. Ex- the, U- the United States doesn't export anything else. It's just sheets of paper. And as soon as the rest of the world decides they don't want those sheets of paper anymore, then no one's shipping anything else to the United States. Well, and let's not forget the other half of that equation, which is the largesse of the U.S. military, the empire yes. that it has built. Also true. With you know over 200 stations, that we know about, our stations, uh, bases, 200 military bases that we know about, uh, is the largest empire planet Earth has ever seen. So and they will fight tooth and nail to maintain that empire. Once so, it starts slipping... Right, so those dollars that they are exporting are uh, enforced by the largesse of the military empire. And that's what really backs the dollar, yes. is, is the might, the violence of the United States as an empire. 
And once this all comes to a head, you won't have the chance to – you have to prep now. You won't have the chance to buy your gold and silver and your alternative currencies, your euros and rubles and whatever else to diversify and get yourself away from the U.S. dollar. Once all of this happens, it's going to escalate very, very quickly, and I want people out there to be safe and protected. And the best way I can tell for people to do this is to get away from the USD, yes. to get into cryptocurrency, to get into gold and silver, lead – grow a garden in your backyard good god that's the best thing you can do just have a garden just grow some uh potatoes and some peas and beans and stuff it's super herbs in your window or something you can't screw it up well you can't really subsist off of herbs but no but it'll get you started with growing stuff and and figuring out how to do all that it's critically important that you have a way to keep your family fed if all things you know come to a crashing end as they might there is more coming up here, as including other events. There's more people to talk to. It is Free Talk Live. Some of you have wanted to support Free Talk Live's mission on a monthly basis, but don't want to support Patreon. Now we have an alternative that also helps our premier streaming platform, Odyssey. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join at the top of the channel. You can subscribe for $5 per month, and unlike other subscription services, Odyssey adds their processing fee on top, so it'll cost a little over $5 per month, but Free Talk Live will receive the entire amount you pledged. Higher donation tiers are available if you're feeling so inspired. You'll get a special membership badge that's visible in the Odyssey chat room, and if we get enough supporters, we may enable members-only chat. This new subscription method is a great way to decentralize our direct listener support away from just Patreon and also support a libertarian-run business, Odyssey. Please visit video.freetalklive.com and click join to subscribe to our Odyssey channel and help support spreading our message around the planet. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join today. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, and as always, we are, well, not as always, but we are here from the Porcupine Freedom Festival in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. Absolutely gorgeous day. The weather is absolutely fantastic. It's not too hot, not too cold. Yesterday, I just had the sun blaring down on my shoulders all day, and I was a little bit worried I was going to get sunburned. Ultimately, not an issue because I'm already dark enough, but absolutely not an issue today the sky is overcast and it's just perfect perfect weather for today it's like yeah, this is like cashmere today. valley levels of perfect temperature is great today and of course yesterday was juneteenth they did a show live from the studio uh, so because we have to get a day ahead of things for various reasons but they did a show last night at the studio so i don't know what they talked about because i didn't listen to it but i do know what we talked about it was a lot of fun and I look forward to listening to that episode at some point. But previously today, we were talking about Juneteenth and slavery mm-hmm. and how the 13th Amendment or the Emancipation Proclamation didn't really do anything to eliminate slavery. Right. It, it did ostensibly. It moved the problem where previously it changed the owner of the slave from the, the white plantation owner or just the plantation owner in general mm-hmm. to the government, to the right. state. Yeah. 
because now you commit any sort of crime and they can punish you with hard labor and suddenly you are literally a slave. Yeah, people think that that, that, that's a metaphor that uh, libertarians use about the government. They say, well, that's a metaphor. No, it's not. It's precisely what your relationship with the government is. It's involuntary. It is the relationship we have. I don't like the tax slavery thing. I get where they're coming from, right? If you are a slave because 100% of your labor is going to someone who owns you, mm-hmm. then at what percentage are, are you, you no longer a right. slave? Right? So I understand where they're coming from when they say tax slave, but I don't think the polemic does us any good. I don't think it's a useful way of convincing people to the ideas of liberty. Mm. I think it's just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just bloviating. That's not really the word I'm looking for because I don't want to be that critical of it. But it's just sort of bloviating a position and expecting everyone else to agree with you. Similar to saying taxation is theft, right? Mm. Like, I agree with it. I know where you're coming from, and you're right. But it's not going to persuade people. It's not going to convince people. But Juneteenth or the Emancipation Proclamation, it absolutely did not end slavery. And most people acknowledge this and they accept this. For one, the Emancipation Proclamation didn't have any effect in the Confederate states at the time that it was announced. So until the Confederate states won the war, that law didn't even apply there, in the, or that proclamation didn't even apply there in the first place. Because uh, okay. it's like, it would be like uh, Xi Jinping in China declaring that the United States will no longer use the U.S. dollar. It's unenforceable. It's meaningless until mm. the Chinese government presumably you know, were to take over the United States or insert whatever scenario in which such a crazy thing would happen. Yeah. But because of that, the United States, they didn't want too much freedom for the black Americans. So they passed a bunch of laws. And the, first of all, they didn't allow them to vote. They didn't allow them to count as full people. They did all sorts of evil, horrific things. But among the other things they did was pass a lot of ridiculous laws, yeah. most notably the marijuana laws. And I'm not saying that because more black people smoke pot. I mean, it's marijuana. They, that was largely targeting the Hispanics. Mm-hmm. But it also was has been used and still is used disproportionately against black Americans. Sure. Almost everyone I know has smoked pot at some point in their lives. But I'm from the South, where, from the state of Mississippi, which has the highest proportion of black Americans in the U.S., like 38% or so. So they're still a minority, but yeah. like 38 out of every 100 Americans there are black. And almost everyone I knew who had been in jail for any sort of possession or pot possession mm-hmm. was black. And I knew almost no white people who had been. And the reason for this, as we mentioned, is because the police officers exercise discretion about who they're going to pull over. They see the white man. They see the black man. They choose which one they want to pull over. They get the canine. And then it's not that the white man didn't have pot. It's that they didn't pull him over. And therefore, they didn't search him with the canine vehicle. And therefore, they didn't end up searching his vehicle. And they, they did this just – and the pot uh, propaganda that they pushed out back then, if you've never looked into it, it's wild. Oh, reefer madness. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It is wild. Like some of the things they said about it, it's yeah, just – It was going to make your white women lust after the <laughs> – it was crazy. Just totally crazy. Yeah. Definitely worth looking into. And you've got to remember in this context, we, we hear that and we laugh and go, oh, my God, these people are nuts. What were they thinking? This happened. Yes. This was actual propaganda used by yeah. the U.S. government yeah. to convince people that pot should be illegal yeah just uh, i mean and like that type of behavior continues by the u.s government we look at uh uh the twitter files right uh, matt yep. taibbi was you know he got to look into all that and write about it and as a result of his simply reporting right him being given access he is now being sort of persecuted uh by the press to such an extent yeah to such an extent that he actually has said something along the lines 
of uh, free speech is dying and journalists are the ones killing it. That was, I was going to make a similar remark, not quite as eloquently. I was going to point out that it's crazy that someone who released information to the public, yeah. uh, critical, important information released to the public, is being crucified by the media, yeah. whose job it is to release that information <laughs> right, to yeah. the public. But yeah. they're too busy being in bed with the U.S. government to actually do their jobs. And that's been going on for a very long time. And that's the point that, that, that Taibbi made in the article that I read about him where he made that, that quote was that uh, the journalists fancy themselves as also being in power and part of the power structure now. And they enjoy that. Right. Well, and that is a dangerous, do, right? dangerous place for journalists to be. I felt weird yesterday when I was talking with Carla and someone from the Boston Globe when Carla said, yeah, you're with the press to this person at the you know, Boston Globe. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but I mean, so am I technically. I mean, I do a nationally syndicated radio show, but we're different, right? We're not with the press. We're, I don't know why we don't count as the press and I don't want to count as the press. It's yeah. just curious that if you had some other radio show here doing it, like Rush Limbaugh or whatever, people would know this is the mainstream media. Right. E- even as conservative as he is. Tucker Carlson, another example, not as dependent today, but he wouldn't be considered independent and free. He might now that he's left Fox News, yeah, actually. Maybe. But, but I learned of something today in regard to Juneteenth and the abolition of slavery. And don't get me wrong. Obviously, abolishing slavery, great thing. Yeah. Really glad that yeah. happened. Yeah. It was going to happen anyway. Let's, let's just continue and abolish the rest of it. Absolutely. And it's only in the United States that slavery is partially illegal. Slavery exists throughout the world. The lithium mining that you have for your cell phone batteries mm-hmm. and for your electric cars, disgusting amounts of child slavery and other forms of oh, slavery yeah. going into that. Like people are being maimed and killed. Children are being maimed yeah. and killed in order to mine this lithium. It's absolutely horrific. And that's just this one scenario. You, you start factoring things like cocaine and other areas in South America. There's slavery everywhere. There's a long way to go yeah. in regard to eliminating slavery. But one of the things I did not know about was these forced apprenticeships that came about in the 19th century. The so-called apprenticeships. Yes, the so-called black codes that existed in 1865 and 1866. Well, that was when they came into existence. Notice, let's repeat that they came into existence in 1865. The first were enacted in Mississippi following the election of a new state legislature in 1865. Now, this was after the defeat in the Civil War, Mm -hmm. where they were required, I think I may be wrong here, it's not really important, but they had to vote in an entirely new legislature because their previous one, you know, these are are treasonous people and they have to be replaced. So in 1865, Mississippi, where I'm from, sadly, passed these first black codes. The codes passed by the state legislator recognized certain rights for former slaves, which is good. However, accompanying restrictions led to severe limitations on the rights of freedom while also ensuring that former slaves would continue to be exploited for cheap labor in the state. The primary issues addressed in the codes were civil rights, apprenticeships, vagrancy, and criminal law. And I'm going to jump ahead a bit and go ahead and spill the beans on this. The the apprenticeship thing was if you were a minor and believed to be a runaway or they weren't with your adult, they would force you to agree to being someone's apprentice and you couldn't do anything about it. And just like that, you were effective. You were a slave again. Only now they called it an apprentice instead of 
an actual slave. <laughs> and I didn't even know this. I knew all sorts of messed up things had happened in the South right after the Civil War and before yeah. and after the Civil War. But I never knew that this in particular had happened. And I'm from Mississippi. Yeah. Why isn't that I had to take Mississippi history in, in high school in yeah. order to graduate? I ended up not graduating because I had better things to do and dropped out. But I had to take an actual class called Mississippi history. Yeah. Strangely enough, it didn't talk about this didn't, horrific didn't black state. Didn't mention stain. any of this, did no. it? Concerning the civil concerning civil rights, the Mississippi Black Codes, and it's heartbreaking that Mississippi was the first one to do this, but not terribly surprising. They allowed freedmen to access the legal system, marry, own property, and contract employment, which is good, right? Positive steps, especially for Mississippi in that time. Now black people can get jobs, they can own property, they can get married, all good things. Okay. However, in the courts, blacks were limited from serving as witnesses in civil cases solely between white litigants. So if you had two white people suing each other, a black person could not act as a witness in that court. I don't know how often that came up, but wow. it was demonstrably racist and it existed. Further, marriage between different races was punishable for both whites and non-whites by life imprisonment. I didn't, know th- I, ne- I didn't know that. I knew that it was frowned upon, but to pass an actual law forbidding interracial marriage, I, I didn't know that it happened. And life in prison? Yeah, the penalty definitely uh. disproportionate. Well, if you're taking it from the context of being married is imprisonment for life, then I could get that. But obviously, that's not what they mean. They're, they mean they're putting people literally in prison. And the state prison in Mississippi is called Parchman, and it's in it's a absolutely miserable place. Mississippi is exactly what you would expect it to be. Extremely yeah. high humidity, extremely high temperatures, and this is a swamp. Yeah, And that's where they put their prison. I think it's sort of a... It's just the delta and the swamp surrounding it. I've well, never actually um, been, obviously. What's uh, uh, something that I'm I'm sort of picking up on here is, is the theme is that uh, governments perpetuate racism. Yeah, well, they benefit from it. I don't know. It, well, yes. So by definition, they would perpetuate it. But I don't want to put the blame entirely on governments. The government benefits from people being divided against one another. That's true. Yeah. That's why the media is pushing this anti-trans, anti-drag nonsense to the extent they, that they are. Because the more you and I are fighting with each other, the less we're fighting with the actual problem, right. which is the state. And this is a tactic going all the way back to like Mussolini. Divide and, and conquer. Yeah. This goes way back, and they use, they know it, and racism is another one of these tactics that they use to keep us pitted against one another while they loot and rob and destroy and rape and pillage and plunder. So these limitations obviously made it extremely difficult to seek out better-paying jobs or to change employment, and that by doing this, it basically eliminated any true social mobility or autonomy. You couldn't climb the corporate ladder, so to speak, in in Mississippi. For one, there wasn't a corporate ladder then, but <laughs> it, it did all sorts of things. The limits were placed on their ability to own property outside of cities, so they couldn't own rural property, and to move from the cities and engage in their own farming or land ownership, similar to serfdom in medieval Europe, where you weren't allowed to go from one lord's, one lord's farm to the next yeah. without that lord's permission. They had almost similar laws set up in Mississippi according to these black codes that, again, came out right after the Emancipation Proclamation, came out as a result of yeah. the Emancipation Proclamation. If you needed a better illustration of you know how backwards it is to have rulers and to have governments telling you how to live your life, this is a, a very good illustration. 
Further, under new apprenticeship laws, this is some of the more disgusting parts. Well, I don't know. It, it's been disgusting this whole time. I don't know how much worse it could get. County law enforcement and civil officials were required to report all free minors of black or mixed race who were orphans or whose parents were unable to provide financial care for them to the courts. And this may sound like a good thing. Hey, this kid's homeless or this family can't feed this kid. We need to report this to the courts. That may sound noble and like a good thing. But first of all, it's never good to talk to the cops. Talking to the cops never makes anything better. Even if you think, oh, they're just going to go help this kid. Maybe they might actually do that. They might also show up and put a bullet in them. Right? There have been plenty of cases where cops responded. There was a nine-year-old autistic kid who was having a meltdown. His mother didn't know how to respond to it at this point. I mean, he was out of control, and she had to do something. So yeah. she called the police, and the police showed up, and they put bullets in this kid. They killed this kid, this nine-year-old autistic kid. I want to say he, it was either nine-year-old or he was shot nine times. Yeah. The number nine is significant in that story. But it was a young kid, either way, that was killed for being autistic because someone— called the police. Well, we've done a number of stories here on Free Talk Live, uh, two of them recently, actually, where uh, someone has phoned the police to resolve some situation. Uh, one of them was a, a guy who thought uh, he lives near the border. He thought some uh, illegal immigrants were in his property, so he calls the cops. Why the hell would anyone the, call the, the cops? The cops show up and they kill the guy, not the immigrants, but the guy who called them. I'm and not, then, I'm, and not then, oppo- I'm not in favor of that. And obviously. then, in a completely different state, something similar happened. A guy calls the cops because you know he thought something was going on on his property. The cops show up and they shoot the guy who called the cops. Yeah, I, we covered one of those stories. Someone answered the door with a gun and not even like pointed at the cops. They just had a gun because yeah. the the, fir- the cops were at the wrong address. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the address that they were at was not the address on their warrant and they were knocking and they were demanding entry so this guy opened the door not knowing it was the cops there they also did not announce themselves as police if i remember right and they shot him and killed him that like they went to his house yeah. bothered him knocked on his door harassed him and then murdered him yep. and they may have gotten a paid vacation maybe even an unpaid vacation i'm sure they investigated themselves and found they did no wrong I'm sure they did. I, I don't even know how to begin addressing the police problem in the United States. When I ran for sheriff, of course, I ran on the platform of F the police, and I yeah. firmly stand by that slogan. And at one point, my car was vandalized. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, went, and my signs were stolen throughout Cheshire County. But like the one thing I did not do was call the police. Even though I made it clear to them, I, I'm an advocate of turning the other cheek. Yeah. So you stole my signs, fine. I'm going to turn the other cheek and just put more signs out there. But I've only got two cheeks. You slap both them and there are going to be repercussions. That was, that was the statement that I put out there. So if any more of my signs went stolen, then the guy who I had on video yeah. was going to get persecuted. Right, so he yeah. needed prosecuted. So he needed to be out there convincing people not to steal my signs. But the one thing I didn't do during all of that, someone, the cops came to me. They emailed me, incidentally, at aria at fpolice.com. <laughs> that, that address no longer works, by the way. But they emailed me. as like, hey, look, so someone reported this truck that was stealing your signs. This isn't part of your campaign, is it? And I said, no, it's not. Then they followed up, well, do you want us to press charges? And I was like, no, just close the case mm-hmm. and leave the person alone and leave me alone. Don't, yeah. don't bother me again. Thank yeah. you. Have a good day. Because yep. the police kill people. Even, yeah, uh, even they've killed old ladies, pulling them over for having taillights out. 
And then, of course, there was the guy who walked through the hallway, had to play Simon Says with the officers because some busybody thought they saw a, cam- a gun in his hotel room. And I don't even remember if he had a gun at this point. But he had to walk through the hallway while they were giving him various commands like cross your legs, put your hands on your head, put your hands on your hips, put your hands on your ankles, giving him literally mixed commands and then killing him when he was crying and begging for them to stop and trying to obey their contradictory commands. Yeah, people need to, like, uh, and a a lot of people, at least in the libertarian community, are pretty good at this, but, like, I think more of regular people need to figure out how to mind your business. Yes, if no one's being hurt, just look the other way. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, and part of the reason... And I would add, if it's a corporation being hurt... Just look the other way. If someone's stealing some laundry detergent from Walmart, just look the other way. Part I understand of, some libertarians will disagree on that. Yeah. Part part of the reason that I just even do this show is because I know that in order for myself to be free, everyone else must also be free. So for me yes. to achieve the maximum amount of freedom possible, I need to be a champion for other people also being free. Yes. So the way we left off on this story with the black codes was that all civil officials, law enforcement, everyone who worked in any capacity for the government had to report to the courts anyone who they thought of black or mixed race, not anyone of white race, right? (laughs) If if they were white and they were starving, you didn't have to report them. But if they were black or mixed, you had to report them to the courts so that the courts could then order the minors to work as apprentices for individuals whom the courts deemed suitable and competent. So the courts would say, all right, well, here's a 10-year-old kid. His family can't feed him. All right. Uh, he's, we're, we're going to sentence him for existing and being black and poor in the South yep. to forced labor working, at, working for this person who is literally now called his master yeah. because it's a master apprentice relationship. So tell me what the hell changed with the emancipation. They just had to jump through more hoops to yeah. perpetuate the slavery that continued to exist yeah. and continues to exist to this day. Worse, the, this provision guaranteed that former slave owners had preference to ensure that the children of their former slaves would continue to labor for the master. So if you could show that this person had been your slave... Generational servitude. Yes. And if you could show to the court that this person had been your slave, the court would order that person to become your apprentice. And this happened, people. This happened in the United States, in the state of Mississippi. And they probably weren't the only one. The, The article goes on. There's probably quite a bit more. But it happened in Mississippi perpetuation of slavery that was not ended with the Emancipation Proclamation. Juneteenth, I'm with you. Celebrate it. It's great. I'm glad slavery ended in that capacity, but Mm -hmm. it's so far from ended, and we can't end actual slavery. We can't address the problem until we acknowledge that it continues to exist. Right, and then continue to acknowledge who the slave owner is. Yes, because it's no longer an average white person or it's no longer having anything to do with that so it, well it's an institution yes it's now not it's just the state. thomas jefferson anymore who owns slaves right so finally criminal provisions restricted the types of property that black people could own as well as the types of property that could be purchased by or sold to black americans again criminal penalties and jail time would often result in a freedman being hired out and what this means by hired out is again being forced labor because the 13th Amendment allowed them to be punished for 
uh, any act with you know, forced labor. So here we have laws that were placed preventing black people from owning certain types of property. Mm-hmm. And if they ha- acquired those types of property, that would be a crime. And yep. they would be sentenced to slavery for owning that property. So tell me again how slavery ended or was hardly even impacted by the Emancipation Proclamation. It, it just it literally just changed forms and only slightly at that. In response, eventually, Congress passed the 14th and 15th Amendments, the U.S. Congress, in 1868 and 1870. They were guaranteed these amendments guaranteed freedmen equal protection under the law and the right to vote. It took a long time for those things to actually come into effect and to be useful to black Americans in the yeah. United States because just because Congress said in 1870 that you as a black man could vote in Mississippi didn't mean that it was safe for you to go to the voting booth and vote in Mississippi or that your ballot would even be counted. It's so weird to me as a, uh, as a, a non-voter, right? someone who uh, does not give my scribe uh, to these mm, tyrants. Right, uh, that that was the reward. Right? Oh, congratulations! You get to participate in this thing. It's going to have no effect anyway. Well, the myth is that it has an effect, and they get to choose their rulers. And that the, the myth sells. There's more coming up here from the Porcupine Freedom Festival. It is Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live on this. You're probably listening on Wednesday. It's really hard to say, though. Although, hopefully, the Wednesday episode will actually be played on Wednesday because Wednesday is She Talk Live. And we're going to be doing that tomorrow here at RV46. And we're going to be bringing topless She Talk Live to the Porcupine Freedom Festival. This is something we haven't done in probably close to two years. Topless Tuesdays, of course, was a thing on Free Talk Live for years. And then, you know, I do Tuesday nights, so I started doing it topless. And I was like, well, And then we got air conditioning. What do you mean? That, well, was, yeah, always, but, uh, that was always Eden's reason for doing you. Topless Tuesday. Well, there is air conditioning in there now. But, I mean, it's just it's more comfortable, right? right? So we started doing that on Tuesdays. And then I wanted to know how far we could push this. Because I used to do a topless show called Aria Uncensored. And we got suspended from Twitch and YouTube and Facebook and all these other things for me doing that show, as we sort of expected to do. But for some reason, they, they backed off of that, and they're not suspending us on Tuesdays. And we started doing it on Wednesdays instead. Or on Wednesdays, we started doing She Talk Live, and then we started doing that show, Topless. Right. And it was tremendously successful, as, as you might imagine. Viewership skyrocketed, <laughs> knowing that you know Nikki and Angie and others were sitting there in, in, in my studio at that time being topless. Now that's how you advertise. It, it was tremendously successful. And that's happening here at RV46 tomorrow, so come hang out with us for that. There are a few people coming, I know, just to spectate, that you know, with women who support the idea, because I've already seen men running around topless all over the place today. Yeah, it's, it's common. Apparently it's called Top Freedom. 
Is it? Yeah, I, I it was. I, I ran across it while I was, uh, you know, researching anarchism as yeah. one does, uh, and uh, ran across Top Freedom, and I'm like, what? What's to- oh, as in topless? Right. Makes sense. There ought to be free the nipple. There ought to actually be right. equality between the sexes as far as what we expect clothing uh, wise. I agree entirely because I grew up as a male, obviously, and I spent most of my youth. Being topless because it's Mississippi, guys. Uh, everyone walking around Mississippi is topless because it's 140 degrees with a 96% humidity. And I just sort of am accustomed to that. Most women are never going to know how comfortable it actually is, how liberating, how relaxing it actually is to just be able to walk around topless. Yeah. And part of She Talk Live is aimed at normalizing that and getting people accustomed to it. And it's, it's been a lot of fun, well, and I'm looking forward to its return tomorrow here at – it's actually never been here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. There is a nude village, a nude camp somewhere around here. I don't know exactly where yeah, I haven't the, been uh, to the it. the Body Freedom people. Yes, and, that's and it, the, the Body the Freedom same, Village. The but same thing where, like, if it becomes normalized, it becomes normalized. Like, when you've grown accustomed to nudity in a non-emergency and non-sexualized context – then it just becomes something that you overlook completely. Right. I mean, it's it's conditioning and training that causes us to sexualize nudity in the first place. But right. the body freedom people, they they stay, they keep their body freedom at the body freedom village. Mm-hmm. We're not doing that. We're doing it right here, right at Agora Valley, here on RV46. So I expect some amount of controversy, but we're only being topless. And there's there's all sorts of good reasons why we should be allowed to sit here and be topless. And I don't really expect much pushback, but I do expect some. And that's happening more. So come hang out with us for that. But I'm sorry to do all of that and have that, you know, three and a half minute long preamble there to bring us back into the show because we do have a guest here. That's one of the things we like to do here on Free Talk Live at the Porcupine Freedom Festival is we get people on here to talk about their projects. They're doing what they're doing to make the world freer in their lifetime because that's the goal. We all want freedom in our lifetime. And one of the reasons Mark Edge isn't here is because he's out there gallivanting around the world trying to acquire freedom in his lifetime. And Tony Olson here is with the Freedom Haven Project. So tell me about this. Give me a brief overview exactly. What, what is the Freedom Haven Project? Um, the Freedom Haven Project uh, will be bringing the free market to the world's 25 million refugees. We're creating an anarcho-capitalist floating port city outside the jurisdiction of all existing governments. Okay, so is That's it a seasteading project, essentially? It's seasteading, except that most seasteading projects are more about fancy homes on the beach or off just off the beach, as opposed to actually going out beyond the jurisdiction of government. Okay, so you're trying to like have a seastead effectively, but yes. in the middle of the Pacific Ocean exactly. or the Atlantic Ocean. Yes. All right, so how, how is that going? I mean, what's it... Looking like, it seems like that that's a monumental task, right? That's it is. A, it's it a is. huge project to have a floating city, yes. basically. Yes. We, we plan, uh, if, if we're continuing on the same same course we're on right now, we should have it built by 2037. That's a okay. long way out. It is. But it but is a big project. <laughs> so how do you intend to keep from running afoul of the many mafias known as uh, nation states? Oh, yes. Because they tend to like getting a cut of everything. Oh, yes, they do. Um, the... This is this is where it gets really really tricky. Uh, we will have to uh, if you're not actually w- flying a flag um, of some, some some nation, then you're considered a pirate vessel, mm-hmm. and they, all the countries agree that they can basically seize your vessel. Mm-hmm. So we can't go out there without a flag. Oh. Right. So we will have to have a flag of convenience, but we're going to play the game. And those laws that those flags 
uh, have means that there's some regulation on the crew, some regulations on the ship, but no regulations on the passengers. So basically, yes, the ship and we uh, uh, maintain a ship will actually have um, some kind of rules with it, like how we handle oil. We have to have certain controls and certain things we have to keep up with regulations. But the passengers will have full economic freedom and social freedom. I think I understand here. It's sort of like how the the captain of a plane is a citizen of whatever country that is. But that doesn't mean that you're a citizen of that country when you're on that plane. And here, you would be an independent citizen or not a citizen of – let's say you denounce your American citizenship. Mm -hmm. Then you're – the captain, the people working on this vessel or however you would characterize them are still subject to whatever laws they're – of the countries they're from yep. but you as the passenger would be free and actually there are very few laws most laws by default do not apply out on outside the jurisdiction outside the exclusive economic zone those those laws that they pass all the federal laws here unless they specifically specify that it, it goes out on the ocean it doesn't it's just here okay. for on land so. so how common is this? Because I know we heard a story, I th- want to say last year, of some Asian country, may have been Vietnam or South Korea. Thailand. Thailand. They encountered one of these seasteads. The people mm-hmm. happened to be ashore at the time. Chad and Nadia. But they, they raided it. And yep. I don't remember what all of the details were, but they, did, did they do that on just the justification of, oh, this is a pirate ship? Because that's, that's insane. Mm-hmm. And you can't. It's insane. I'm not surprised nations do this, but it's insane to treat every unflagged vessel as a privateer, as, as a pirate, as, as a threat. They, 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 there, there are two things there. One is they didn't have a flag, and the second one is they were actually inside the jurisdiction. They're not outside the jurisdiction. They're about okay. you know, 15, 20 miles offshore, which, and this is where it gets tricky because they said, oh, we're in international waters, but the international law does not define international waters. So sometimes they say it's 12 nautical miles, sometimes it says 200 nautical miles. But because it's not defined, we should not ever use the term international waters because if you're, if you're inside the exclusive economic zone, 200 nautical miles from shore, you're in their jurisdiction. One way or another, they can control everything that happens. They can take your sure. ship. They can regulate you. I can see that. It's sort of like how it doesn't matter what China claims as its territorial waters or what the United – there's disagreement. And China is the example that comes to mind. And I don't like, know how It doesn't matter to the U.S. what China claims as its territorial waters right. or to China what the U.S. claims as its territorial waters. Well, but China if someone ex- claims 200 miles from their shore, you better believe that they're going to come stealing. Well, yep. China claims significantly more territorial water than like anyone else is willing to recognize. The seven, the seven line uh, map or whatever. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's why they come to mind where this is happening because there is no international. They're saying that's not international water. That's, that's Chinese water. And that's yeah, specifically they, why Thailand is so sensitive on this subject and why they took their ship. Ship okay. is because um, <laughs> um, is because um, that was Thailand, and Thailand shares another border with the South China Sea where a lot of this contention is happening. Okay, so I can see that it seems like that would be a bad area then to I do agree. this sea standing. So yep. one might the Atlantic Ocean might be safer, but I I don't yep. know. It's all very risky, and there's nothing that's guaranteed. There's nothing that's safe mm. when you're trying to get away from the jurisdictions of yep. the governments around the world. I I love the sea standing possibility. My issue, it's not really an issue, but I I couldn't do. I don't have the pioneering spirit like that. I I, I don't feel like that's 
for me. Like Mark Edge is doing a bunch of different projects, and he describes basically a cubby hole down there in the Honduras somewhere where <laughs> people can live, and it's only $150 a month. Yeah, and it's, it's like the size of the bathroom here in the motel room at Rogers Campground. And it's it's got about the same amenities, except half the good running water, and then you don't want to drink that water. Which so, is frequently part of the pioneering spirit. That's it right, pack your very... entire life into a cupboard wagon. And of course, like fun. Mark is always promoting these ideas, and a few nights ago, we just had a beautiful conversation with him where we got him to say, no, of course not. I wouldn't take my kid and go live in this little closet in the Honduras. That That's crazy. It's like, yeah, thank you, Mark. You've been saying, you finally said what we've been saying for years, which is why we promote the Free State Project and moving to New Hampshire, where you can have these amenities like electricity, heat, water, internet, and other little things like that that he doesn't necessarily have down there in Honduras. But we're less free than he is, demonstrably less free. And that's oh, yeah. always going to be the case. The seasteading idea, and Mark's. Mark's little project on that. I say, I, I say little project. I don't mean to you know talk down about it. But Mark's project in the Honduras, he's got two of them. They both require the agreement of the Honduran government to honor its agreement to allow them to have their ZA, their special economic zone that is distinct, and to not violate that agreement. And they're already trying to violate that agreement, obviously. Mark and, thinks they can win that in court. but And to be fair, we do need the United States' agreement to exist here, because they do like to kill things that they don't like. And they That's have true. pretty much declared us as one of their enemies, even libertarians on the list of detestable figures. They but is, uh, not- at least we know here that we are that we are working toward not having those problems, that we are working towards secession, and that there's a real possible path forward with that. Whereas with Honduras, I mean, there's there's no telling how long the communists will be in charge of the national government. Right, and all of that's in theory, right? That That's the goal. But some people, like Mark, Mark wants liberty in his lifetime. Mm. And for Mark, it's a Which very... Awesome. Per- yeah, for Mark, it's a very personal thing. He doesn't care about my liberty or your liberty. And to be fair, he cares about my liberty because he, he cares about me and I'm his friend. But in general, he doesn't care about everyone else's freedom. And that's where we diverge from him. That's where Ian and I diverge from him because I want everyone to be free. Yes, it would be great if I could just pay the American government $5 million and they'll leave me alone for the rest of my life. That would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't do anything to help anyone else. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm motivated by a desire to help others. And that's why I like these sorts of projects being put forward and being propagated by people because we can make each other free. The people who want freedom and seasteading and these this Honduras project, these special economic zones, seem like good ways of doing that. But Mark's projects require the government to keep its word. Mm-hmm. and. I I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't trust that as far as I could throw it. No, I remember what happened to the Native Americans when they trusted the American oh, yeah. government to keep its word. And I can't think of any scenario where I tr- – they don't even obey the freaking Constitution. Why would, they, why would they obey this other law? Yep. 
Well, and, and, and honestly, I do wonder the same thing about your project. So, like, uh, whose flag is your ship going to be flying? Because you are kind of trusting that government to, uh, you know, n- not suddenly change the deal on you. Right. I have altered the deal. Yeah. Pray I do not alter, alter it, it any further. further. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So, I mean, you're, that's kind of the relationship you have with uh, whoever's flag oh, yeah. you're flying. Yeah, that, that's actually when the country's the most common flag being used for flag inconvenience out there is the Panama flag. Mm-hmm. But we're actually uh, probably considering the, the second most convenient one, which is the Liberian flag. Mm. Liberia is a terrible country to live in. It has a very low level of freedom, but they're constantly in civil war. And they're oh, constantly okay. fighting by themselves. Well, that's convenient. Yeah, and, and, and so you never know who's going to charge whatever, and they've, um, they've actually uh, uh, delegated their, their flag registry to a, to a company in Virginia that handles all of that. Mm-hmm. And that flag registry does nothing more than just say, okay, you want to be a member? Here's all the information. Okay, you're registered now. And, and I, pay them, I pay them their fee. And uh, they, they pay back um, like a quarter of it back to Liberia, keep the rest, and 10% of it goes to some humanitarian fund there. But basically, mm-hmm. long story short, Liberia isn't even involved. They just get free money. Well, and Liberia, if I remember correctly, has basically been the United States sort of uh, pet project. So it's one of those, like, uh, people will probably respect so no your space. <laughs> right. People will probably uh, respect your space so that they don't get on the bad side of the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, but there's not that much government to actually oppress you because it keeps ending up in civil war. Exactly. So exactly. I don't want to drag this too far out into the weeds, but I'm curious, and you, you seem like you may know the answer to this, What it, what is the process for these other nations recognizing another flag as legitimately belonging to a nation state. Like, there's a flag flying right here, yep. and the LGBT flag. And I would imagine that flying that flag wouldn't do me any good as far as affording me protection from the Thailand government. In the UK, there's the International Maritime Organization that actually oh, good keeps track uh, of... I should have known. They're, they're, of course, there's <laughs> a bureaucracy. Duh. Oh, right. It's a bureaucracy. Of course, <laughs> they have but an organization. Ahead. They have a list of all the flags that they recognize. Now, there might be other flags that other countries recognize, and there might be flags on that registry that other countries say, well, I don't recognize it. So just, you know... But you start with that. You want you want to work with them and, and help them recognize your country officially, which means going through all the, the ugly channels of getting the UN to recognize you and, and, and working with other countries saying they recognize us. It's going to be a long process, so we'll be yeah. in the Liberian flag for a while until that happens. Well, I hope that works out. It sounds like it actually could. I was heartbroken to hear about the failure. I don't want to call it a failure, but what happened to the seasteading project that you mentioned. You mentioned their names, and I don't remember what they were, but that was tragic, right? It was just these people trying to live freely, not hurting anyone. There are seasteading projects here every year. We usually get them on some of the hexagonal-shaped ones that sort Mm -hmm. of connect together. These these are fantastic projects. very dreamy sort of projects. And what I mean by that is it takes big dreams to get into something like this. Like Ernie Hancock down here, who, cl- who does the show Declare Your Independence, he, he's, he dreams of a spaceship that we, we can use to set ourselves free. And I'm actually 100% with them on that note. I don't think that human beings will achieve a libertarian society until we're colonizing other planets, at which point we'll be so far, we can take our libertarians to, a, to some colony and we'll be so far from the government that they just won't be able to enforce their laws on us. But So I'm totally with them on that. But it sounds crazy when I say it to people and they, they laugh and they go, ha yeah, <laughs> spaceships. But I mean, it's going oh, to happen. It's, it's definitely going to happen. Yeah. It, it's, for me, it's just a question of, of how much it costs. I mean, I, I, I think sure. land is the cheapest, ocean's the more expensive, 
uh, the moon would be more even more expensive. The Mars would be even more expensive. But like that's why on, on ships you you they live in cabins instead of big spacious spacious housing. But the 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 cost of living on what we have planned here, we can estimate we estimate that we can probably get that cost down for people willing to live like they do in the Navy, where you have like multiple bunks. Yeah, five thousand dollars a year okay. per person. That's cheap. I mean, yeah, it is. But that doesn't. It doesn't sound like the way that I would really want to live. But oh, yeah. again, yeah. I don't have that. I'd be living spirit. at about the thirty, forty thousand dollar level, which is you know having multiple things and living the way I live right now. You know. Okay, and that that they do have those options available for people. Presumably, if you can drop the money on it, you can have your own room, so to speak, on one of these. Yeah, one of these steads. What a full a full room in the new Liberty vessel that we're we're creating right now. Um, if you're an investor. And you're you're paying a fund at sixty five thousand dollars for ten years of that room, and then you can either have that for yourself or you can you can rent it out to other people, and then you know get your return on investment in seven years. So you it's sort of a floating condo situation. Very much. And what we're essentially doing is nothing more than providing land or place to build your 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 libertarian society um, outside the jurisdiction of government. We're, we're essentially putting land out there where there isn't land right now. Mm-hmm. So it's, in essence, it's kind of just real estate. Yeah, that was uh, one of the strangest things that uh, uh, China did when it built an artificial island for the exact purpose of making sure that more of this sea area, which, I mean, it, it's the only thing that we have left, is space on the sea and under the sea as far as frontiers go, because every square yep. inch of land is claimed by at least one government. Yep. But, you know, realistically, that's most of the space available on the planet. Right. The, the oceans are fairly deep. And in theory, if we develop a way to live down there, it probably wouldn't be very pleasant. But if we can put a colony on the moon, we can put a colony at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Exactly. I don't see any reason why we can't. I don't know that I would want to live down there because <laughs> I'm – and that's not even about the pioneering spirits because I'm claustrophobic. <laughs> and I think that would drive me insane very, very quickly. Like my father, he wanted to go into the military and he wanted to work on a submarine. And I just – can't understand the mentality of someone who wants to be in a submarine <laughs> and that narrow confined space. But yeah, the bottom of the ocean, to say nothing of the surface of the ocean where there's presumably pr- plenty of sunlight and you could have some arable land on there. There's plenty of possibilities. The only thing, as you mentioned, really holding things back is the money. And, yep. it, and in the libertarian community in the around the world, there's plenty of people with the money to back up some of these and, projects. And also the, the, the mindset. A lot of people, when you say talk about living on the ocean, they imagine water world and some raft out there you know, fighting the waves in the storm. What we're, what we're talking about is for those few people that have actually been on those mega cruise ships, those, those modern ones, where you play pool and occasionally the pool ball – veers just a little bit and you're like why does it do that why didn't it go straight oh yeah i'm on a ship in the middle of the ocean um, okay. or or i mean or, or you have the wine test where you have a, a glass of wine on the table and it doesn't spill it doesn't even, doesn't even shake because that's how stable the ship is you, you forget that you're on the water they have swimming lessons for people on these cruise ships because swimming is optional yeah, if I was going to get on a cruise ship, I, I would want to make sure I could swim. I, I would too, but that's that's the whole point. Is you're so disconnected swim, yeah. from the nature that it's 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 you're already they've already tamed that frontier. 
They just haven't. We, we just haven't uh, opened our minds to, and 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 seen the potential that frontier has for us. I've seen some of the images that people have of these uh, ships. I don't know if that would be the correct term for them or not. But yeah, the engineering that goes into them is phenomenal. It's not. It's not at all what you would expect from some of these things, like the hexagonal ones that I was talking about. They they extend down into the sea. It's basically dropping an anchor mm-hmm. for several dozens of feet, and it's solid still, and it keeps the ship steady. A spar, yeah, those and, are really cool. Yeah, and these things they they work. The technology's there. You you could test this at home using using a a bowling pin mm-hmm. and something else to stab it down into the water. Yep. The, this technology's there. It's feasible. It's practical. The only thing we need, really, as you mentioned, is money and for people to have the right mindset. Because it's a big world, but there are countless possibilities out there. Like er- Ernie likes the spaceship idea. I think that's probably the the most likely to actually happen. Mm-hmm. Or which by that I mean, I think it's any of these could happen. But I think the spaceship one, the future libertarian society, it's most likely to get far enough away from the government so the government doesn't come after you and take away your freedom once you're out there. Well, I think it's almost a, a certainty that something like that is going to happen at some point. That we're going to have some libertarian space colony. But libertarian seastead that requ- that doesn't feel like it's a more it's natural progression. Enough. It's right. not far enough away. But but it's possible, right? And and I love these sorts of projects. So where can people go if they want to learn more about this? And it, how how close are you? To having one of these out there with people like on it living there, um, you can go to freedomhaven.org, f r e e d o m h a v e n dot o r g, and we're we're taking this uh, in in four phases. The first phase was actually come up with the plan, all the details, and so forth. The second phase right now is the the. Um, uh, the exploratory campaign where we're actually going out there to see is this even economically vi- viable. We know that if we had enough money, we could build it tomorrow. Is there enough interest? Mm-hmm. Is there enough people out there that actually would want, want this to happen? And that's where we're right now. That's where we're in phase two and it's marketing phase. And then phase three, we actually get the designers, um, uh, like uh, Samsung Heavy Industries, the actual people from the um, um, from the shipyards to actually do the professional designs down to each rivet. And then state phase four is uh, actually building the ship, and then we start the whole process. 2037 is when, when all four of those processes will, phases will be complete. Each phase is about four years. Okay. We're in the middle of phase, phase two right now. So this is a sort of subscription service where someone ha- would have to pay like yearly or you know by the decade or whatever in order to maintain their space on here, which would necessitate in many ways some ability to earn money. And this is one of the criticisms I have with Mark. Mark thinks, well, you can just work online, right? And that's true for some people, but it's not necessarily true for everyone. Some people's jobs just don't do that. But yes, yeah, so some... But being able to do that, if someone could do that, they have a job that supports that, it's going to require pretty solid internet access. And I, yep. I don't want to focus too much on the the internet addiction that people have, but it, it is important for a person to sustain themselves to have connectivity to the rest of the world. Or is Agreed. this project only for people who are already wealthy and can subsist Oh, no, no. They, if you're already wealthy, you already have, uh, you already have the MS World uh, that Ian mentioned last time, um, which is one that $10 million per cabin. Um, you have other wealthy uh, cruise ship options. You can live in a cruise ship right now today, although you don't have freedom. You still have, you can live out in the sea for $80,000 a year per person and up. But that's still too expensive for me. We're trying to keep this as cheap as possible. Okay, very cool. So that's freedomhaven.org, you said? Yep, freedomhaven.org. Freedomhaven.org to learn more about this. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Tony. There is more coming up, more people to talk to here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. It is Free Talk Live. 
Facebook Live. We are here at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. It continues to be an absolutely beautiful day. That tends to be the case here in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Yesterday, I don't know if you saw it, but as the sun was setting, there appeared to be a sort of gold band across the sky. I actually did not see it, but it was reported to me by Dennis Pratt who was the organizer of this year's Porcupine Freedom Festival. So I didn't see that exactly. Myself. I did see the sun, the sunset because I was you know, walking my dog out around that time. And it was just gorgeous, beautiful landscape up here. It's hard to go wrong. Uh, the only way it could be better is with DMT. And <laughs> it was a few years ago that I sat, over, sat at the bowl over there with Ian and doing DMT and watching the landscape and – Difficult to describe experience. The only way these sunsets could be improved is if they had colors that don't actually exist. Yes, exactly that. <laughs> and it did make everything more beautiful. And I, I, you know, it, it was a DMT experience. So it was exactly what you would expect it to be. And, but that's the only way to improve the absolutely gorgeous vistas here in the White Mountains. For sure. And I was worried it was going to be raining all week. That so far has not been the case. But I'm not a weather person. I'm not going to give you a weather report Get here, RV46, because tomorrow is going to be a day to remember. That's a fact. And also, update, um, we mentioned the Rant Festival, uh, the Soapbox Idol that happens every year at the Porcupine Feeder Festival. We weren't sure if I was going to be a judge. I had assumed I was going to be a judge, so I will indeed be judging this year's event again, so I'm looking forward to that. That's always my favorite part of the festival. It's just hearing libertarians passionate about a subject, ranting about a thing. And again, a reminder, I want passionate libertarians. I don't want you to go up there and give me a three-minute dissertation on economics or the history of or what Mises had to say about this. No, I want passion. I want fire. Bring it. That's the kind of thing. Also, I want cider. Bring me, bring me cider, and I will give you more points. I'm thinking of, of announcing at the beginning, like before we even start this year, like I have a, a bribery skill, right? Mm. You bring me an angry orchard cider, you get two extra points. You bring me a cider of any sort of description, you get one point. Mm. You bring me shrooms. You get three points, <laughs> <laughs> and so on. So if you if you, but the, and the beautiful thing about it is, I can give these people whatever points I want. No one cares. No one's in charge. We're just doing this crazy little thing, and the points don't matter. At the end, the judges we sit around and we go, well, who did we want to win? And right. I mean, we don't measure it by the point. We don't tally up the points. So I can give you a million points. And it won't mean that you're going to win. So you can bribe me as much as you want. Just dump a whole bag of psilocybin cubensis on the table if you want. And I can give you 10 million points. And obviously, I'm not doing psilocybin cubensis. I, 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 don't mental, I don't have the mental capacity right now to do any sorts. I can't even drink without having anxiety attacks. And th- that's an unusual experience for me. But it's because I'm going to prison in like a week. So my, my mental state isn't there. And... Doing shrooms or LSD be, would be just a terrible idea yeah. for me right now. Yeah, there's there's an old saying. Uh, it's uh, uh, get your mind. What is it? Uh, uh, state of mind and your uh, like. What is it? State and uh, anyway. The, if you're going to if you're going to experiment with a mind opening substance, you have to make sure that you're in the right mind state and that you are in the right place. Yes. And this is a beautiful place, but I mean, w- when you are being put into a torture cell for, oh no, you sold people cryptocurrency that they wanted. How dare you? 
Yeah, you know, dastardly crime of selling Bitcoin. But uh, Peakless and I are joined by Kahuna. Welcome to the show. I, I think this is the Thank first you. time you've been on during the Porcupine Freedom Festival, isn't it? Uh, during Pork Fest, yeah. I was okay. here last year during Fork Fest. But this that's right. First, yeah. first Pork Fest experience. Oh, really? Oh, so well, how set and setting. That's the old saying. Yes. Set and setting. Well, I mean, yeah, and I there's certain something to be said about using psychedelics to put yourself in the correct mindset to deal with those sorts of things, but that's not going to work in in this case, right? I, I can't shroom my way out of the anxiety of going to prison next week, right? So I'm not even going to attempt it. I, I would not attempt to do the shrooms even if I had them because it's it's not worth it to me. There's yeah, no that, way I could possibly have a good trip. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the difference between what they're useful for and not useful for. They're useful for when you shouldn't have anxiety, but you do. And yeah, and you just enough. cannot get rid of that, and you've tried this and that. Okay, those are great situations for let's tap into the like deepest layer of learning in your brain and fix that. Whereas you actually have a reason for your anxiety. Like you are, you are facing down a predator. You're supposed to feel anxious when you face down a predator. Fair enough. Survival mechanism, all of that. So this is your first Porcupine Freedom Festival. This is day two. It's still, Well, for us, it's day two. For you out there, listener, it's probably Wednesday or Thursday. I don't know. But it is Tuesday for us. So the festival is still getting going. People are still setting up. It's still in the early days. It's a very different festival than what we'll see Friday and Saturday. But what are your impressions so far, being, being this is your first time attending? Uh, I like it. I mean, it's... It's. Uh, I, I like seeing all the people here. Um, it is more structured than Forkfest, so that's different. Yeah. Um, but it, it's great to uh, to look around and see so many people here um, celebrating freedom, enjoying New Hampshire, getting that whole experience. That's always been one of my favorite things about New Hampshire is the Porcupine Freedom Festival and just all of the different things that you can see happening and see people doing and the vending. The vending this year has has been fantastic. And that's something that Fork Fest uh, has always sort of lacked. And I also like, I mean, I like seeing all the, the younger uh, people here, the kids, uh, starting them early, enjoying, enjoying New Hampshire. I was at... Uh, breakfast this morning one of the vendors and there were two gentlemen they had their two daughters and it was just a great thing to see i wish i had woke up in time to have breakfast because i've been wanting like a sausage and biscuit and some eggs i really want some eggs but there's no there's no kitchen space in the motel rooms here at rogers campground there's no suite where i can get access to a kitchen or whatever i i suppose in theory i could grill some eggs but in order that's a lot of work right when I would have to set up a campfire here and get the thing with which to do it and go buy the skillers and the eggs and all that. It would be better if I could just find someone cooking those things and buy theirs. And it was also awesome. I paid for breakfast with Goldbacks. Yes, that's that's the best part <laughs> by far of the Porcupine Freedom Festival is being able to live in and thrive in an economy that doesn't rely on the U.S. dollar. And right. you can use the U.S. dollar here, but you could survive the entire week just using goldbacks or cryptocurrency or some combination thereof. For the most part, you could barter and get by just fine. Even if you don't have gold and silver, if you have something someone else wants, they're more than willing to trade for it. I got a tarot reading yesterday. I think this is the first time we've had a, a I don't know if she's a psychic, but we've had tarot readings here that, I was, that I've ever seen right here in Agora Valley. And I paid two goldbacks for it 
and she was willing to barter with whatever one happened to have. And that's something that you find a lot at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. There's a lot of set your own price, too, which can be a bit jarring for me when, like, a few nights ago, the Cordons were doing dinner. And it was a donation-only sort of thing. So, okay, but what do you want? What do you think is fair? Tell me that. But it it's amazing here. There's We accept Gold Back Here stickers everywhere. I love seeing those. It's it's so hard to figure out how things are priced when they're printing the money at the rate that they are these days. So, yeah, the, there's a bunch of people, including myself, trying to outsource the labor of figuring out, okay, what is this worth now? Really yeah. good point. And. And there was a price on the sign where I had breakfast mm-hmm. in dollars, but I pay, they they said they take gold back, so they take crypto. And, and, uh, that and is, did they also price it in gold backs on no, the sign? No, no. Okay. Um, I was the first person to ever do that. <laughs> not, nice. not this particular vendor, but I actually gave this person more in quote value in gold backs just to show my support, and because I wanted to, right? Nice. Uh, you know, it's not because I had to, but yeah. I, I wanted to just provide that support yeah and that and that's one of the things that we are going to see for a very long time to come even if uh gold or cryptocurrency takes over there's going to be a long period of time where things are still priced in dollars even while that tanks Mm -hmm. but uh to see here's what it looks like everyone here's what a u.s dollar uh threat and and coercion currency can be free of this is what it looks like Yes, and this is what society looks like when it's running on those currencies. The only qualm I have is with people who don't put the price in goldbacks on their sides because I'm pretty much, I can't use cryptocurrency, so I can use U.S. dollar and goldbacks. Of the two, I vastly prefer using goldbacks. Mm -hmm. And it can be tricky when my order is $26 to pay for it in goldbacks. Now, it's just some simple math, right? It's seven Mm -hmm. goldbacks in that case because each one is worth about $4. And Mm -hmm. we all tend to round down. I think the price is technically $4.07 right now but if somebody buys something that requires 10 goldbacks and you treat that as forty dollars and seventy cents you're the outlier <laughs> everyone true. everyone else is just rounding down to four dollars right. and so so don't be that weirdo who's, <laughs> who's charging people that extra seven cents or whatever right yeah there there's a um i i uh, i forget which uh, country they're from there's this uh, middle eastern shop in uh, manchester that uh, got talked into taking goldbacks and i'm always jarred by the fact that they like look up online wait a second <laughs> how much is the gold worth right now okay here's your here's your uh, chart for that the funky noodle did that as well now this restaurant you mentioned are they giving you like gold back prices of the gold back are they looking at the gold back prices or are they treating it like one one thousand oh, they're, of an they're looking of gold? up the gold back prices. okay yeah. that's good that's good so they're valuing the utility of it because mm-hmm. the actual value of the gold in a gold back is about two dollars and fifty cents something mm-hmm. around those that area well and mm-hmm. and the thing that we're really tapping into here is are you willing to save because that's what gold and cryptocurrency are good for. Yeah, they may not be as convenient to take in and give away just as quickly as possible, but they're what you can save in and really have something you know will work. Yeah, we have paper for something to trade freely and to get rid of and to not save. But gold is certainly useful for that, and the gold back made gold useful, whereas previously you would have to – I mean, I can't even imagine how small a thousandth of an ounce of gold would be. To carry around $4 worth of gold, I would absolutely for sure lose it. But with the gold back, that's not a problem, and that's a beautiful thing. I do find silver to be slightly more – the only criticism I have of the gold back – 
is that you cannot melt it down. You cannot smelt it to get the raw gold out of it. You, that can only be done through a very specific process. But basically by undoing the process they did initially to make them. So if I take one of my 50 gold bags, which is a 20th of an ounce of gold, I, I would expect to be able to melt it down and get a 20th of an ounce of gold out of it. But that's not the way it works. In order to get that gold, they have to do something. And that, that's the part that's really that surprising. You, saddens You'd think me. that you could uh, like take a stack of these and just apply enough heat that you burn off the, uh, the plastic in them and you'd and be left with gold. You would expect so. But as I understand it from the gold back people, that is not the case. And it's mm. probably not a simple process. So there's a cost to that, which is probably not small. Mm. Yeah. So that dilutes, if you will, the net value of that melted mm. gold. But I do love the gold back, and I don't, I don't mean to tarnish it in any way whatsoever. It's absolutely useful. It made gold useful. But for that reason alone, I prefer the actual silver. On the subject of silver, have either of you seen Silver Dave this year? I haven't. I have not. He's surely here. He's normally right there along Agora Valley with his gourmet food. Fantastic. Expensive. I, I have not met him yet. I do want to meet him, so hopefully I run into him in the next few days. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I know he's still sell, selling silver, so I don't know why I haven't seen him. I'm going to have to put out the word to see if he's here, if he's coming this year, because he, he, every year he does gourmet dinners, and it's hard to find gourmet food here at, you know, it's fair food, and mm -hmm. that's sort of what you expect. Mm -hmm. The closest consistent thing we have to gourmet food is Little Zoe's, the pizza shop down here. Mm -hmm. Everything else is just pretty much is fair food, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Silver Dave offered actual gourmet. Like, yeah, last year he did uh, ahi tuna and mm, some other delicious. stuff. And it was like oh, yeah. $35 for, for a plate. But it was Nine delicious. Backs. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it was worth it. And it was, it was something you could eat and feel good about having eaten. Whereas last night I mentioned previously I got some of the loaded fries and split them with my dog I didn't feel good about eating that mm. this is like this is just food that is you know I'm eating because I'm hungry mm. it's not healthy it's not good but little Zoe's more like fuel than food yes yep. little Zoe's has salads this year and I don't believe mm. they did that last year so I'm nice. happy to see that a lot of positive changes this year from last year. By and large, it's still the Porcupine Freedom Festival. I don't notice any huge, major changes. But there, there's a lot of little subtle ones among the people like that. And it could also just be a difference in perspective. Maybe they, maybe Lil Zoe's always had salads, mm. and I just didn't notice. Well, I've definitely noticed a lot of uh, Massachusetts license plates this year. And I think, uh, really? uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are here uh, to see their, their Kennedy, you know? Oh man, I mm. I hope not. I I look I, again. I don't think RFK should be banned, but I I wish he would just f off. And it, it's so really? hard. Yeah, are it, you I, kidding me? Look, someone is is yeah. reminding the people on the left that they used to hate war and distrust the pharmaceutical yeah. companies. Okay, when I say f off, I mean from Porkfest uh, okay. and from libertarian circles. I do not mean in general. I don't care what he does with Democrats and liberals. Right? Yeah. I just I don't want already libertarians in an effort to to chase after that clout that is mainstream recognition and and the ego boost of feeling like we're significant significant and that we matter to the political parties already they're willing to bend their knee and to give in to rfk's demands mm -hmm. when the exact opposite should be the well, case rfk wants our vote he wants he wants my, our vote if so my what, uncle's head exploded from something i'd feel a little bit iffy about having those things around that's 
that's a non sequitur in my opinion. I mean, he's probably been around guns. He's got armed guards coming here with him, mm-hmm. right? He's not going to be not it's, around guns. He just wants to it, be able to control who has it, the and guns. And it's going to be a gun-free zone, I believe. Right? At the pavilion. Well, no. No? He, no. <laughs> his, gar- his guys will be able to have guns. Uh, what, other than his guys. Well, see, that's a critical yeah. distinction right. because it's not a gun-free zone. Okay. It's a gun-free zone for us ordinary people. His elite soldiers, his bodyguards get to have guns, and we're, we're at their mercy. And just extrapolate that to the wider society, and you have the same problem. Well, only the police should have guns. And he just exemplifies that exact mindset. And I don't think that the fact that his uncle got killed, or his uncles, I don't remember exactly how many of them have been killed, got killed gives him any sort of political credibility. And that's what I encounter a lot. It's like, well, you know, he's, he says there was, a, the conspir- there was a conspiracy, and it is his family, but that doesn't mean he knows anything. Mm-hmm. That, that would be well, like and, and my like uncle most... coming forward and saying, I know something about the situation with Arya, but he doesn't. Yeah, and like most leftists, he's probably never held a gun. He's never fired one. He's never learned how they can be safe and uh, and accepted them into his life. And that's really sad and unfortunate. But I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that you have a voice that's actually going, "Hey, half the country, this thing we just did, not okay, not okay." And right in regard now, to war, you mean? Yeah. Right, well, no, no, not not even but, the war. No, the the the, the lockdowns. Everyone on the yeah. left just wants to pretend that was cool and no, nothing to see here, nothing important. We didn't ruin our entire civilization for no good reason. And he's literally the only one on that side that's actually going, uh, guys, this was not okay. Which is all well and good. However, appearing here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival directly hurts his reputation with those exact people. And if... We're not going to reach those people. He's not, he doesn't have to convince us about the lockdowns being bad. That's true. But if he's speaking to Democrats, he should have clout with Democrats. And if they're looking at him going, no, man, you're in bed with those libertarians now. Get out of here. Then he ceases to be effective at that Look, as well. If we can add any fuel to his fire, then I'm all for it. If we can increase his visibility, great. And the fact that he's neurotic about guns is just going to give us an excuse to have a gun rally at Porkfest, which is absurd in any other context. But now there's actually a reason to have a gun rally where there are always guns. I think that ignores the fact that there's a there's a power dynamic here, right? He's a politician. He wants power. In theory, we have something that he wants, mm. and that is our votes, right? He wants to persuade it. He wants our votes, and he wants us to get out there and campaign for him and all of that nonsense. However, why isn't he offering us anything? That being the case, why is he offering us nothing and instead demanding something of us? Demanding well, to that be we... fair, he's offering us the lack of nuclear annihilation, which is more than we're getting from the other candidates. Because right now, there are no candidates that are even concerned with the possibility of us turning into radioactive dust. I mean, okay, yes, but if we're crediting, crediting him with that, then, then everyone on this campsite, is off, everyone at this festival is offering us the same thing. 99.99% yeah, of Americans are offering us the same thing. So, I mean, that's a really low bar. Yeah, but they're, they're not going to have their finger on the button, you see. Well, he probably won't either. And, uh, I mean, realistically. And Vivek would probably promise not to destroy the entire planet, too. And, I mean, Donald Trump would threaten, would 
promised not to destroy the entire... He had his finger on the button for four years and never destroyed the entire planet. No, he is going to do it with China. That's how this works. He if didn't we, do if it if previously. Had, that's true. We've lucked out so far. We haven't had a nuclear war with China or Russia, which seem to be the uh, the options that we have for voting. Is Do you want to have a nuclear yes. World War Three with Russia or China or both? I think the plot twist is definitely going to be that it's both. But you're absolutely right. And that was the 2016 election in a nutshell. Is Donald Trump sitting there going, China, 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 China all the <laughs> time. True. And Hillary going, Russia collusion, Russia. Russians, Russians, Russians. And it, the voting in the 2016 election was either voting for an idiot who goes, where is Aleppo? Or <laughs> voting for war with China or war with Russia. And as I mentioned, I don't necessarily have any issue with Gary Johnson not knowing where Aleppo is. I think, I think we need more politicians who are willing to be honest and say, I don't know something. However, it didn't do him any favors. Uh, Gary Johnson was probably the weakest candidate we could have run. Why in the world did they send this ordinary, this ordinary dude named Gary Johnson to run against Donald Trump? Are you kidding? That was the year to run John McAfee. If he was, if right? anything was ever going to succeed, it would have been John McAfee. Right. He he would have crushed Donald Trump. And people made the argument that well, well, no, John McAfee would have done so much worse against Trump. It's like, but you don't know that. Right, well, and there's and, no evidence to just there's no evidence to well, support my claim either. And, that's, and and it was a completely different race than any other. Like what you had to stand up to was schoolyard bullying. Right, and John McAfee <laughs> knows how to stand up to schoolyard bullying. He's got a history of doing that. He stood up to a pimp in the state of Florida, I think it was, and said, "Hey, stop hitting this woman who's going to become my wife." So, I mean, dude stood up to authorities. He stood up to bullies. Crazy as hell. But mad <laughs> respect for him, man. And. Uh, I think we we could have actually won that election if the American people or if the Libertarian Party had chosen to put their money behind John McAfee. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just speculation. I have no evidence to support that. But why would we send an order when you don't battle well, crazy with non-crazy? Well, and the thing is, as far as I'm concerned, all of this politics stuff is just a great way to get people to pay attention. So if you're going to get the people's attention, why are you getting it on this guy? No, let's have someone who says, okay, here's the non-aggression principle. Non-aggression? I've never heard that word before. Like, get that guy, because what is the point of running this one? We actually did have some Kennedy supporters over here a second ago, but they left. Uh, I suspect that was because we were not saying nice things about Kennedy. I don't know. Maybe they're with the campaign. I'd love to talk to them. There's more coming up here from the, the Porcupine Freedom Festival, though. Stay tuned. It is Free Talk Live. Live and this hour, of course, is brought to you, or this tonight's show is brought to you by Dash. You can find out more about them at dash.org. Dash is a cryptocurrency that is actually designed and meant to be used from the ground up as an actual currency. And Bitcoin, of course, I mean, right there at the top of the white paper, peer to peer digital cash, but. Bitcoin was co-opted long ago and has stopped being useful as money. Dash doesn't have that problem. Dash remains to this day useful as money and it's actually reasonable 
in regard to fees and times, it's almost instantaneous, these transactions. It also doesn't have the replace by fee that Bitcoin has. And all of these things are very technical and they're probably not very important to you as a user. What's important is the fact that it is actually useful as a currency. You can go buy something here at the, Por- at the Porcupine Freedom Festival, scan a QR code, send them Dash, and be 100% confident that they will get the cryptocurrency that you sent them. You don't have to worry about 51% attacks, replaced by fee, or the blockchain being too busy, or the fee being unreasonable. None of that's an issue with Dash. You can find out more about it at Dash.org. And I want to say thank you to the Dash DAO, that's the Dash Decentralized Autonomous Organization, for giving us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. So again, that's Dash.org. Check it out. Always been one of my favorite cryptocurrencies. It's between Dash and Bitcoin Cash as far as like spending things on a... And I, I've got to give the edge to Bitcoin Cash, I think. I like bit, I like BCH. Simply because of local.bitcoin.com. For mm-hmm. a time, for a very long time, I was the top... And I suspect this is still true for different reasons. I was the top seller in the world at local.bitcoin.com. I was the top seller of Bitcoin Cash in the world. Mm-hmm. And... That was it was very successful. However, the site was ultimately proliferated by scammers to the extent that 99 trades out of 100 were scammers. And I was the top trader. So I had a lot of successful trades under my belt. And I started just getting fewer and fewer actual legitimate people interested in Bitcoin cash. And to my knowledge, the site just sort of died off as a result of that, getting well, taken over by scammers. Well, this is why I'm curious what's going to happen in St. Kitts, because they've made that uh, a currency there. Because uh, one of the activists uh, sold alcohol there, and they knew yep. he would always be willing to trade Bitcoin cash for alcohol. And when you're at a resort town, that's that's a big part of what, uh, what goes on there. But we were talking about uh, Kennedy and presidential candidates. And I want to be clear. I don't want to sound too harsh about these presidential candidates. I just want to be clear. I hate them and I wish they would die. I mean, sorry, let me be clear. I wish, I don't wish they would, I do kind of wish they would die, actually. I don't wish anyone harmed them, but I wish they would die of natural causes because these people are evil. I, I'm willing to give Vivek and uh, RFK the, the, a pass on this. They have not been politicians yet, to my knowledge. They haven't, they haven't become evil yet. Yeah, they so haven't they have, put on the ring of well, power. They've become evil. But they haven't had the chance to be evil yet. Ah. So for them, they're just potentially evil at this point. And so to be clear, I don't wish they would die. And again, what I mean by that is I wish they would die of natural causes. As, as well, a karmic, you don't want to be harsh to them. As a karmic <laughs> consequence of their own actions, not as a result of any harm that anyone did to them ever. No one should ever harm any other person. However... That is my position on these candidates. That doesn't mean, though, that they don't do some good things. Ideally, I would like all of the politicians to just be cured of their addiction to power. That that would be better. Yes. That that would certainly be a better approach. However, that doesn't seem to be the case anytime soon. It does not seem to be the case. They are here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival not trying to cure their addiction to power, but seeking more power. And it's possible, right? That's one of the reasons that the libertarians want Vivek and RFK here, so that maybe... Maybe we can formulate the question in exactly the right way or put it to them in exactly the right way to get them to see that what they're doing is tyrannical and immoral and violent and aggression and coercion. I don't, it's been revealed that's not going to be the case because RFK is only taking a few questions and they've been pre-planned. And, He's taking not zero questions? Uh, what, it's uh, a step. 
Well, it's an improvement. They were it's pre-planned ridiculous. on Twitter, so his writers and he have already they, they can control what questions they're being asked. Yeah. So there's no potential here for a libertarian yeah. to raise their hand and ask, unless they're going to disrupt the flow mm-hmm. of things, which I would advise against. There's no potential for them to ask him that that ringer question that's going to get him. Right. The one thing I like that he did was I don't know if you remember this, but. Back in November 21, he wrote a book called mm-hmm. The Real Anthony Fauci. Right. And it it was not an op-ed piece. I mean, it, it was very factual. It went back to Anthony Fauci's childhood, his history, uh, his work with AIDS, mm-hmm. with the HPV vaccine, all that, and really exposed uh, how this guy operates. Right. Yeah, because Fauci has been, I mean, he's been a political monster for yeah. 40 or 50 years at this oh, point, yeah. like right. all the way back to the 80s at right. least. Right, and talking about somebody who's power hungry and uses that power to just destroy people's lives yeah. and get what they want and get a lot of money, uh, in my opinion, that's that guy. Absolutely. I thought the puppy and, and, thing would be what took down Fauci. I really yeah, did because yeah. uh, Americans I'm, really love their puppies and their cats. I'm truly astonished that he is still in power. I am, I am flabbergasted that he has not been run through the streets with tar and feather on him. I mean, seriously, no one's calling for this guy to not have his power well, after we are. this? We are, sure. Yeah, yeah, But we, we are. are the rare ones, and I, I'm with you. Let's tar and feather this dude. And again, to reiterate, tarring and feathering people doesn't have to do them any harm. It, it can be just embarrassing. I always thought the tar had to be hot, but as, as I learned from a movie that I watched a few years ago, no, it was quite possible to use coal tar and to tar and feather people that way. It wouldn't kill them, wouldn't even hurt them. It would just be tremendously embarrassing. And then it probably would take months to get it off. I, I don't know. Probably not pleasant, but we could do that. I would love to see us do that. Those are the options. They either need to F off or die or get tarred and feathered. Yeah, because we need to show other power monsters that this is the kind of behavior that is unacceptable for people to do. And the the end result, honestly, of not doing this, the reason that tarring and feathering politicians should be permissible, I realize that it sounds awful to think of, but the reason it should be permissible is because if you don't do it, these things build up and build up and build up until it's straight to the guillotine. It's true. And we could, we could avoid all of that by holding politicians accountable with tar and feathers. Right. Or, when, or just eliminating the entire political apparatus. That, right. would, that would be ideal. Right. Yeah, when you don't see change for long periods of time, it builds up in people's psyches, and then the swing is always extremely harmful. Whereas what we could do is start changing things now so that they don't have to drastically swing into some kind of lethal new tyranny. Well, they thought they made the breakthrough of having of, of the two-party political system where, right. where they could harness that and sort of redirect it from one party to the other, and they could have that change going back and forth. But it doesn't result in any actual real change. And I think – I don't think it's fixing that, that bubbling, underlying antagonism of the system. I think it's just making it take longer to build up. And the thing is, when you have it swing back and forth between these two powerful groups, what ends up happening is just whatever they have in common becomes the actual society, becomes the actual bureaucracy that's in charge of everything. And it turns out that what they have in common is terrible. 
Not at all surprising, but I'm not familiar with RFK Jr. beyond the fact that he's a Kennedy, which means you know so, some family members of his got murdered, and I obviously oppose that. I wish I could say I had some hypothesis about what happened to JFK, but I don't. Oh, I, I, I can tell you exactly what happened to JFK. He promised to break the Central Intelligence Agency into a million pieces. He did so publicly, and they went, oh, really? You think you're in control? And they arranged for... For the Italian mafia to get the hitmen, and this was paid for by uh, by oil money. Now, these were the three groups that had the most gain from his demise because he had uh, set himself against them. Well, that's certainly plausible, but we're, we can never know for certain is the position. Just like we can never know for certain what happened with 9-11, right? That, that's what I was trying to convey. Uh, certainly, I don't believe that I don't believe that the story the government told us is true because everything the government says is a lie, and everything it has, it has stolen. But I, beyond that, I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I thought there, there is an unknowability to certain things, but we do know this: on that day, things were certainly no longer what they appeared to be. Because we thought we had this representative democracy, but it turns out when your representative steps out of line, it gets taken out. And it's just amazing. It really shows how powerful the propaganda machine controlled by the U.S. government really is. Like, and 9-11 re- put that on display all over again, but like, there were people there, literally there, who testified to hearing multiple gunshots, including one coming from the grassy knoll. Like, and, and watch his head. Watch the man's yeah. freaking head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, they've done documentaries now with, with modern-day technology and science with all the angles and everything. It, the one that I saw... Basically, my interpretation was it, it was impossible for it to come from the book uh, repository. Absolutely right. Okay, impossible by fit, you know pure physics. Yeah, physically impossible. Well, so, Bill Hicks put it put it best. You know, watch his head back into the left, back <laughs> right, into the right. left. Well, right. and and so here's you would, the strange you would think thing that about in that, that case, the bullet would come from over there where the grassy knoll mm-hmm. happened right, to be. Right. So here's the strange thing about that, though. It wasn't actually back. It was up. He was shot from below. And the reason his head exploded instead of, like, you know, a bullet going through it is well, because it was a shotgun that was shot from the sewer. Now, the yes. wild part about the uh, the footage is I've that never it, heard this. Hold on. I have. I've, yeah. heard, I've heard this one. Yeah, it's it's in uh, 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 JFK to 9-11, I think, is mm-hmm. the, the, the... They've got almost so the, every the single detail So the theory is that someone was in the sewer? Yes, well, and they more, used a shotgun, yes. like from the yes. like from the one of the the drain, mm-hmm. uh, the the drain openings. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. uh, the the thing about the Zapruder film that's important because every time you see it analyzed on uh, ABC or Fox or whatever, they always do the frame by frame analysis of exactly what it shows. And the thing is, the frame rate is the important part because if you if you saw the unaltered footage, you'd see that car slow to a near stop. I have heard mm-hmm. that it, it slowed down a lot. And that's why, that because point. the shooting gallery that the driver had just gone through had failed to assassinate him. There were so many people shooting at him and none of it worked. So the driver went, crap, I've got to do my job, which is to stop in front of this grate so that this kid, and it was this like 17-year-old of all things, because an, an ordinary hitman's not going to go crawling through the sewer for this thing so he ends up being the one who uh fires the final shot that makes the president's head explode 
What, what did you say this Up documentary was left. called? Because I've never even heard uh, of this. JFK to 9-11. JFK did 9-11? No, two. To 9-11. JFK to 9-11. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you know they, they called it that for a point. But we see the same sort of nonsense going on with uh, 9-11 and... Mm-hmm pancake theory, the fact that the U.S. government doesn't even mention Building 7 in the 9-11 Commission report or the FEMA report around 9-11. And their hypothesis, their going theory or their their explanation is that two planes flew into three buildings and collapsed three buildings despite the fact that, obviously, it's a meme at this point. Jet fuel can't melt steel beams. Well, Mm -hmm. it it still can't. And despite the fact that no high-rise steel building has ever collapsed due to fire before Mm -hmm. and has never happened sense. And what was really sad about the truth movement is that they ended up turning on each other because they had different theories for what really happened when the important fact is that we know we're being lied to. We know we have ample evidence that what they say happened did not happen. And that's the important part. Like this world-changing event was staged in some way or another. Some people were in on this. And that's the part that we should have been focusing on. So we'd go, well, wait a second. Where did the money come from? Well, the 9-11 report says the money was of no interest. Right. They, of right. No, no practical significance, no I think they said. No practical significance. Do not look behind the Period curtain the and who's end. pulling the strings on this event. <laughs> That's not important. To say nothing else of some, of some of the more bizarre, unlikely things, like the fact that while this the hijackings were going on, NORAD just so happened to be running a drill about what right. they would do if some airliners were hijacked by terrorists. Meanwhile, they failed to inter- intercept said airliners mm-hmm. repeatedly, even though they had a 100% success rate prior to that and a 100% success rate yeah. since. And under direct orders, no less. Now, Yes, I, Cheney I, was there. Yeah. Cheney was with NORAD. And let's not kid ourselves. That's who was running the country at the time was Dick Cheney. Oh, that was the top <laughs> dude at the time. And no less than Dick Cheney said, of course those orders still stand when asked specifically, hey, can we go ahead? and shoot this down now, please? (laughs) No, they still stand. So if you want to tell me that this was an accident, no one could possibly have thought that this would ever occur, which is why we were training for that exact event at the time. And, And people buy it. Right, yeah. <laughs> and the the London bombings, I think on June the sixth or whatever day it was, had exactly the same thing. Where the the MI five, I think it was, mm-hmm. was doing an exact drill on what would happen if someone planted bombs in the in the London subway, and at that exact same time, some terrorists just happened to be doing that. It's just absolutely it's mind boggling that people buy into these things. Mm-hmm. To say nothing of the, what about the Pentagon? We know for a fact that the FBI came and they took all available footage of whatever hit the Pentagon Mm -hmm. and then they released four frames of it four frames that show nothing right what the guys what do you think they could possibly be hiding (laughs) in the interest of national security we cannot show that right Right. if they have footage of planes hitting the Pentagon first of all what harm could it be to release that you would think right second of all it, why only release the four f- frames that clearly seem to show an explosion, which you, I would expect an airliner crashing into the Pentagon. And it also just happened to hit the part of the Pentagon that had just been renovated right. to, to withstand a <laughs> missile strike. <laughs> wow, what a coincidence. 
And and that was really the most important thing about this is it cemented that we are following this single narrative. No matter what actually happened, no matter what evidence we see, this is the narrative. Lockstep, people. This is why we are locking down your airports forever. Yeah, and, and it does no good, right? The TSO has a horrific failure rate of trying to... There's no consistency. I've flown a lot in my life, and... All it seems to have done, all the TSA has ever accomplished is, one, making sure I have to pay $9 for a bottle of water once I get past TSA security, and two, making sure I get felt up. It's a, it's a guaranteed, unwilling, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I, I don't know. They're going to feel- Gropage? Yes, thank you. Molestation? I'm go- yes, that's it. I'm going to get molested when I go through TSA, for sure. Every trans person will. It's and a it's public service to molest all of the trans people. They have a button there that says male or female. And if they hit male, then your bra sets it off. And if they hit female, then other things in other places set it off. And, the, and you're Yeah, it's just a matter of which one of these things they're going to hit and uh, where they're going to fill you up. And- it's the only difference. Just, just, just spitballing here. But what if, what if we didn't have these radioactive methods of looking through people's clothing that you had to go through to get on a plane? And what the hell? What do they do? Like, again, I always get felt out. What, what is it that they do when I get on the other side of it? Because they, they put on gloves and they fill around on me and, and then they wipe it with some wand and then they scan the wand. Like what? Can, I need to know what. What did you just put on me? Or what did you take? What? What just? What? The, what the what hell just happened? Just happened? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> because it, it's it's like they were testing me for or scanning me for some kind of chemical. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how else to interpret what that, they were doing. That, that was the explanation given to me. Was what? oh well, if there's a chemical on what? you, it'll get on the thing, and yeah. then when we test it I, with the machine, it will go. Oh, you're a terrorist. But yeah, I, I what? <laughs> Well, and that's the thing. None of this is useful. People get through every time that they test these things. And it sure does seem to get in the way of absolutely everything all the time for no purpose whatsoever, except it renews everyone's faith and fear so that we're all on the same narrative at the same time. That's the important part. And I I know people in the industry that that are familiar with those, those procedures, and they've told me point blank that stuff gets through because they test it um, I, I won't give details but they test right. it and so well there's you, probably you, you available may, you, reports you, you may think that you're safe but my opinion based on what i know and have heard you're not yeah but well, there's definitely but, 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 people, but, but, but people feel better right 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 well and and the thing is what they're not since they're not catching what they're supposed to be catching why are we paying these people oh because they make us feel like those evil terrorists will be further from us mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what these people are doing. Yeah, Americans don't care about results. They don't care about success. They don't care about the no, goals. No. What they want to, what they care about, is the pretense of feeling like they are doing something about that goal. Like if, if Americans really wanted to do something about poverty, they would abolish the welfare apparatus and eliminate the the minimum wage. But they don't yeah. do that. Instead, they go the opposite direction because they don't care if they actually increase poverty by raising the minimum wage. Not as long as they, they feel not- good and can convince themselves that they tried. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't, n- don't worry, starving child. 
they tried. Yeah, government did something. There was an intervention. And in fact, not only do they not care if they're making the problem worse, they're directly incentivized to make sure that this problem never goes away. Now that we've monopolized poor people, we have to make sure that poor people still exist so we keep our phony baloney jobs. Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, we have no need in society for a TSA. Mm -hmm. I've taken all sorts of transportations that didn't have to do with the government, and I've never been, like, searched in that capacity. I've never been put through any sort of invasive body scan. I I don't even do the body scans anymore because I know I'm going to get felt up. So if I'm going to get felt up anyway, let's just skip that and go straight to to the, the forced massage, right? Right. But instead of subjecting ourselves to that, we, we could just get on the planes that worked just fine for decades. Honestly, if it Wait. wasn't for the government intervention, the airline industry would have collapsed long ago because it's completely unsustainable. But it, it exists, and the TSA is there allegedly to protect people. But as you pointed out rightly, it's, it's just theater. It's, just, it's, it's the masks. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just to make people feel better. They don't optics. care if it works or not. It's the impo- all optics. The imposing uniforms at the checkpoints, mm-hmm. the shiny badges. The stern looks. Oh, on the subject of checkpoints, they're having sobriety checkpoints here in Lancaster I throughout heard, this weekend. Yes. Oh you boy. had an encounter with the police. I did. I uh, I wanted to explore uh, the wil- more of the wilderness of northern New Hampshire, so I drove up earlier today, almost to the Canadian border. Nice. Went, went up to the what they call the Connecticut Lakes, which was headwaters, if you will, for the Connecticut River. And when I was driving back, I I was on. Um, Route 3, which is a main thoroughfare north-south, and I stopped in the middle of nowhere at a rest stop. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, state trooper comes out, pulls mm. in the rest area, kind of slows down, looks me over. I, I pull out. He, <clears throat> he follows me for about 25 miles and had plenty of oper- – I, I followed, of course, the speed limit at that point. I didn't want to give any reason to have him pull me over, and plenty of opportunity for him to pass me. Right, but, but I was. Uh, I well, was, they, they always give you that vibe, right? When they're doing oh, yeah. this, like you knew at this point that he was going to pull you over, right? Right. If I did like the the least thing wrong, he right? was waiting. He, he was, was waiting. he was a predator stalking he his was a prey. Predator. Yeah, that's and, exactly right. And I I was stone cold sober, um, so the only thing he could get on me was speeding, which I didn't do. Right. Then I pull into a gas station as I pull into a town. He goes on his way. Uh, I get out. Two minutes later. Circles back around, kind of slows down, mm-hmm. and then goes on his way. So I was being stalked. Yeah. And I don't know why. <sighs> Do well, you I, have Port Fest stickers on your vehicle? No, I don't. Wow. I don't. Nothing. Okay. But That would have been my guess. But the, yeah. why would they mess with Libertines I, here? I, I did have an out-of-state plate. Okay. Okay. So, so may, he, he maybe may, that was part of the reason. But how out-of-state? Like, uh, like out-of-state, like. Pennsylvania, Florida. Massachusetts, Florida. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. Then he's pro- he probably did assume you're up here for the pork fest, then for the yeah. porcupine freedom festival. Yeah. But it's hard to say. And even if you are here for that, that's profiling, and yeah. that's not right. Yeah. yeah, and probably scan the plate. I don't know what's in those databases. Mm-hmm. In New Hampshire, they're not allowed to call in your plates oh, without not. justification. Okay. I didn't know this until I had bought my Eclipse, 
And I wanted to go ahead and drive. I didn't want to wait for the registration of the plate and all that. So I took my plates off of my Ford and I put them on my Eclipse. I was like, mm-hmm. this will be fine. I just, it's just got to be a day or two, right? But I pulled in a gas station to do something, to look up something on my GPS. Mm-hmm. And there was a cop who happened to be there. And so I just ignored him, went about my day and went to go pick up my friend from work. And sure enough, a few minutes later, he pulled me over and said, I ran your plates and, you know, what's going on? Those, those aren't the right plates. This, this is not a Ford. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, didn't challenge it. I talked my way out of it. Mm-hmm. He was like, well, just tell me you're buying the car and I will look the other way and go get that taken care of. I was like, well, I'm buying the car. But I didn't know it until Ian pointed out that that was illegal. He wasn't allowed to do that. He couldn't. Okay. Ju- he had no just cause, no no reasonable cause for running my place. No reasonable suspicion that I had broken any laws or done anything illegal. Okay. Wow. So he, All right, in so- theory... The cop did not, but okay. that doesn't mean he won't. Yeah, so I don't know why. It was just very, very strange. Probably part of their sobriety checkpoints <laughs> up <Right>. here in <laughs> Coos County. Well, that's it for today's show. We will be back same time tomorrow. And again, tomorrow, come hang out with us at RV46 for the topless episode of She Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. This is Mark Edge with Free Talk Live. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com is one of the best real estate agents I've ever worked with. I've been through about two dozen real estate transactions in my life, and I feel like I know what I'm doing, but there's always the things that you don't know that you don't know. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com found a problem with the house that I was buying that ultimately saved me $65,000. He's a consummate professional, holds his people to his own high standards, and I would unequivocally recommend him for any real estate purchase in New Hampshire. Don't sell yourself short. Contact PorcupineRealEstate.com.